This podcast is recorded in front of an unwitting audience. This is True Crime Kent. Hello. Hey, True Crime Kent. How uh, how you doing? Oh, hey, Op. I'm just hanging out, man, watching a movie. What uh, What are you watching over there? Huh? Oh. The Quick and the Dead, Op. Oh, is that the movie about those boys that have to pretend that their boss is still alive for a... Uh... No, no, that's, that's a weekend at Bernie's. Oh. Is it the one where Tom Cruise is a race? No, no, that's that's Days of Thunder. Oh, hmm. is it? No, it isn't. That's Mighty Ducks. Up. How, how did you know I was going to? It also isn't the Good Son starring Macaulay Culkin. Weird. How does he do that? <sighs> Look, we're going to the Old West this week. Up, eighteen hundreds. Everybody here is searching for gold. Everybody's trigger happy, and everybody has a bit of grit in their teeth. Ooh. Anybody in particular? Absolutely. The grit in this man's teeth is likely little pieces of human bone fragment. He's the Jeffrey Dahmer of the desert, the Hannibal Lecter of the Old West, the, uh... Well, you get the idea. We're talking about a real wild man, Op. A man that murdered, pillaged, stole, and ate his way all across the United States, and even up into Canada. Considering he was always on the horse of one of his murdered victims, the man's name always brings into my mind a Bible verse, even though that Bible verse isn't even in reference to this man. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat upon him was Death, and Hell followed with him. His name wasn't Death, though. It was Boone Helm. Recording has initiated. All right, Op, I know we usually kick these episodes off with a little personal story about how what we're going to be talking about today relates to our personal life, maybe something from the past, something of that, but I've never eaten nobody, and I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that you haven't either. So could you eat somebody? Like, say, worst-case scenario, could you, in order to survive, consume another person's flesh? Hmm. Do I have their consent? They're dead. So, yes. Oh. Oh. Okay. I think that's well, the way that works. That's a horse of a different flavor. Hmm. Knowing how quickly the body breaks down, unless I was really quick on quartering it and, you know, preserving the meat and stuff, no, I would not. And ethically, I guess, ethically, I guess, no, also, because. I am pretty confident that the only reason I would do that ever would be in a situation of dire straits. And I think I know enough about survival that I could I could do it without eating a person. Okay, let's uh what's that movie where the the hockey team crashes in the mountains? Yes. And the Mighty Ducks alive? No, the Mighty Ducks. Not the Mighty Ducks. Oh, that was definitely the answer that time. Uh, I think it was called Alive, about mm. a hockey team that yes. crashes. Or was it? It might have been Mighty Ducks. Anyways, they, they 
they crash in the mountains. It's a true story, and they end up resorting to cannibalism. Right? Do you know the movie I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Hockey team, airplane, crashes in mountains. All the mothers are back home, sad, wondering what's happened. I'm sorry, mothers or mother puckers in this case because they're hockey players. So could you, even in that situation, let's say you said you would hunt, but this is the there's nothing to hunt. There's no animals. There's no wildlife. There's no vegetation. Would you tear off a piece of buttocks and consume it? In their situation, were they rescued? I don't remember. I haven't seen that movie since I was maybe 13. I think I think if the situation were like there's no plan, no chance of rescue, no plan, no, no, because all I'd be doing, I, I no, no, what, what's the point? You know, I might as well eat my own finger if I'm just trying to sustain my nutrients for another day. That's just going to extend my life one more day, and there isn't a chance of rescue. If the if they were rescued in the movie, then I ha- I would have to reassess, but. Right now, I'm going to say, nah. Okay. Okay. We have very different, I guess, morals because I can skip breakfast sometimes. And my wife, I love her thighs. She wears cheer shorts around. If I skip breakfast, I start looking at her thighs, not sexually, but like kind of like with a growling stomach. I believe that it's not sexually. It's delicatessenly. Is yes. How you- I'm like, that, that would be really good on like a, on a hoagie. Yes. So uh, I, I don't think I would. I don't think I would. I would have any issue eating another person if I wouldn't kill a person and eat them unless they were bad. But like, if if I was with my buddy and let's say he dies of natural causes and it's like, well, it's eat him or die. I would have no no issue with with eating his ass. Not his ass. I wouldn't. Not. Um. Not. I wouldn't eat his ass. Like in that. I would probably start with a bicep. Yeah. I would I would start with a bicep. Honestly, I would start with the ass. That's the largest muscle. It's uh, the most accessible. It's, you know, it, it's probably actually a good place to start. You're you're on a high risk of the bicep not being very substantial on most uh, most most uh, people these days cuz they all just play on the internet. But you know, yeah. you brought up you brought up something actually that is also I I would say a fun fact to know and share. So when it comes to hunting, if you are hunting an animal and can acquisition that animal without it being aware, so turn its lights off very quickly, like a deer yeah. or an elk, that or doesn't something. get a testosterone rush and ruin the meat. Yes, exactly. Yes. So if you shoot it or, or you affect it in any way, and then it runs away but dies later, the the meat is full of. Uh, adrenaline. The adrenaline rush can really spoil the meat. Also, if the animal's in heat or during the rut, it also can affect it. So, you don't want to eat pregnant women, men that are in heat, which basically rules out men, and be people that were on the run. Yeah, but that's in a in a if you're getting to choose who you eat, and it's in a luxury scenario. Like I don't, and I don't know what scenario that would be, but mm. we're talking. Like, you can still eat that meat. It just maybe wouldn't be as tasty as if you were to acquire, I don't know, a, a young Irish gentleman of, of 19, 20 years old, and and you got to, you know, and they got to maybe dope him up, and then you, you could quarter him and everything without that, that 
that uh, adrenaline rush or anything. Mm. I'm talking about this is survival. It doesn't yeah. matter what it tastes like. I already know where you're coming from because when when you started talking about who eating a person, you you went straight to eating your wife. So yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know how I feel about this anymore. Okay, could be okay. kind of telling. I don't know. I don't know. And and then when I, even when I wasn't talking about my wife for whatever reason, I went straight to the ass. I was like <laughs> a dude's ass, none, nonetheless. Oh jeez, yeah, we're probably on different pages. I'm not sure. I'm just saying, I think I could chow down on somebody's thigh and not have issues with it later mentally. Okay, yeah. I think I could be like, I did that. What I did, what I had to do, and I hope that in the same scenario, if I was the dead one, they were more than welcome to to feast upon my my carcass like a vessel. You know what? I'm going to do a complete 180 right now and say, as long as it wasn't in a criminal fashion. Yes, I'd eat a person, no doubt. Because here's the thing. I remember watching this hunting show one time where this like apex hunter who's very admired in the industry uh, on his TV show, he goes to the middle of the, this, the rainforest, gets with this tribe. They take him out. They hunt monkeys, right? They hunt a monkey. They, sh they catch a monkey. They shoot a monkey. They cook the monkey. And then, like, he spends so much time bloviating about, wah, 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 I ate a monkey. Wah, 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 its eyes were looking at me. Wah, wah. I'm like, you know what? No. No, it's, it's not that emotional. It's not. Like no. you said, the person's dead. No. I'd eat anything. I'd eat anything. As long as there wasn't an ethical association to it or connotation or criminal connotation. Yeah, I, I'd eat anything. Anything? Well... No. I wouldn't need a dancer. They're just too lean. I probably wouldn't need a lawyer. Yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to have questionable content. Uh, we're talking about Boone Helm today, Op. Uh, the the oh. Kentucky cannibal, they called him. Okay. Even though this story may take place in Kentucky, it, it doesn't stay there long. We're in Kentucky for a very short period of time. Okay. Now, Boone Helm, the Kentucky cannibal was born on January 28, 1828, in Lincoln County, Kentucky, to Joseph and Nancy Helm. Now, Lincoln County is actually just about 16 miles from me, and I go through it every single day on my way to work. Every day. So I, I know very well the land in which Boone was was born and spent a few years of his of his young life running the streams and catching crawdads and, and getting probably molested. How far do you work away uh, it's a, it's almost, uh, it's about 45 minutes. Really? Okay. Yeah. Huh. 45 minute drive one way. Dang, that's an hour and a half a day. Is it a different yeah. town? Different town where you yes. work? Yeah, two counties over. Wow, wow. Okay. Now, Boone, Boone was the eighth child of 11 total. That's a lot of kids. Not, not, not that many in 1828, though, but they were poor. The whole time they lived in Kentucky, they were very poor. Uh, his dad worked the land of other farmers. Did they know it? Did they know that they were poor? No. Did they? Did these other farmers know that he was working their land? Y yes, they hired him. He he was oh. a paid hand. He okay. was a paid I, hand. I didn't know if this was like a dead of the night operation. You know, where he's out there, you know, cooking beets or, you know, planting beets or, you know, snap peas, and they're none the wiser. Now, the only reason that these farmers had land to employ his father on. Joseph was because they had arrived earlier 
than them during the westward expansion. And, you know, they were giving out plots of land back then just like they were just throwing it out. You could you could just show up as a white dude. And they're like, here's some land, white guy. You wow. raise you a little pay, pasty family and, and, and enjoy the fruits of, of your labor. Sounds like very indiscriminate to me. <laughs> Joseph... Joseph didn't get there soon enough, though, so he had to work other people's land. Uh, by all accounts, by all accounts, Joseph Boone's father was a, a hard worker, but they just couldn't get ahead. They couldn't get ahead. The The whole family always had patched clothing and and growling bellies 24-7, 24-7. That's sad. Yes, very sad. But in 1833, they decided to move, so the family spends all their savings. They get rid of anything that they can't carry, and they buy a wagon train. And that's this is like Oregon Trail, right? Remember that game where you would die of dysentery? Yeah, yeah. So that's what they're doing. They're hooking their, they're hooking all their horses up to a wagon, and they're they're making a making a run for it. Not a run. They're not running from anything. They're trying to run to something. They they want a piece of land to call their own, and then they move to Missouri, four hundred fifty miles away. That's a long way on a horse being pulled by a wagon. Four hundred fifty. Yeah, that's a long way. Imagine the ass chafing, just rolling oh. back and forth on that piece of plywood or whatever they I thought use. you said it was a horse. Well, the the horses were pulling the wagons. So they were sitting in the little the little bench seat with the ropes. Oh, so the the ass was just like hooked onto the back and so you're saying ass chafing. No, not like a donkey up oh, like a oh. like a horse. Yeah. Their ass, their physical asses that attach to them. Mm. Their physical asses probably hurt. Okay. Oh, I see. So this isn't like some horse centipede movie. No, 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 Where no. You're this connecting isn't, horses to this asses. This isn't a donkey's mouth sewed to the ass of a horse. No, this is just two horses pulling a wagon with a family that have sold everything and they're making a they're making money moves. They're trying to move up in the world, and in 1833 they do that. Now they moved, like I said, to Missouri, 450 miles away, and they were trying to get a a piece of land of their own. Boone hated this. Boone liked Kentucky, his old Kentucky home, the Bluegrass State, and I can't blame him. This place is fucking beautiful, aside from the Meth and the heroin and the Percocets, yeah, Oxy- all that. oxycodones and the mm. all that stuff. Like I said, Boone hated this. Uh, Joseph was careful about picking his piece of land. They rolled up and they kind of got you know to pick. He's like, I like that spot over there, and he picked a good spot. It was uh, the the spot the spot was close to where travelers coming in during the westward expansion would kind of pass. They didn't have interstates then, but if if you're thinking of interstate, it was like right off a right off an exit, right. Hmm. So we had some prime territory. I could see that. Now the family fit in well in Missouri. They became part of the community very quickly. Whenever somebody needed help with their land, Joseph would roll up with a probably a cigarette in his hand and his thumbs tucked under his trousers. Right, he'd be like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, I'm I'm here to help, neighbor." And then nice. whenever Joseph needed help, the neighbors would show up and vice versa. So they're they're kind of jiving with everybody. Uh, and, and everybody loves them, and they love everybody, and they just they kind of fit right into this community. Nice. Kind of like Ed Gein helping people, right? Yeah, but uh, but they weren't creeped out by Joseph or, or Nancy. They, they, they were loved. Nancy would share recipes from Kentucky with the other wives, and they would get together, and they would get together and probably giggle to each other. You know? <laughs> I heard that. I heard that. I heard that one-eyed Bill has a massive penis. <laughs> Here's some recipes for some fruitcake. <laughs> Big dicks. That kind of thing. You know, right. I don't know what girls talk about. I imagine that's what they do. I, I don't know. I believe they say things. Back then it was things like, oh, Gertrude, 
How many bolts of fabric did you use on that giant dress? It is just glorious, girl. That's probably more accurate than what I said. <laughs> is that a bustier you're wearing? Is that a bustle? Is that a bustle, Jemima? Do you have a bustle on? And then Jemima says, I have two bustles on. Thank you very much. What is a bustle? I don't know. They just wore them. I think it has to do with the back part of the dress. Oh, was that that donk? That, like, donk-a-donk that's on the dress? Yeah, the donk-a-donk or the, like, the birdcage that they had under the dress maybe was the hey, bustle. You could set a bottle of wine on that ass. You could. You could You could probably uh, weld car parts to that uh, ass as yeah. well because it was literally metal under there. It was metal? Yeah, the bustles, the the, 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 the the part under the dress that kept the dress poofed out was like a metal cage, basically. Huh. Well, you learn something new every day. Now, they, the town that they lived close to began to flourish and grow pretty quickly due to the gold coming down from the mountains. And like I said, the, the constant stream of travelers coming in off the quote, unquote, interstate. Not an interstate. It's just a dirt path through the desert, through the, not the desert. We're not in the desert yet, but just a dirt path through the woods and the, and the hills and everything. Dirt path, gold coming down the path that, that I'd move there. Now, after a few years of farming their new land and the town thriving and growing, the Helms finally become financially stable, and they've got a roof over their head, they've got a solid farm, they've got a good existence. They become a fairly, not rich, but wealthy family, and they're very respected, very well-liked, and they're considered by everybody honest, hardworking, good people. Then there's Boone. Now, at 10 years old, he starts packing on muscle due to all the farm work. Like a lot of these Kentucky boys out here walking around looking like 38-year-olds when they're 14. You always see that in, like, towns around here like Livingston and Crab Orchard. Yes. I was at Walmart a little while ago. Forgive me if I've told this story, but I'm standing in the front of it, like, where the red box machines would be where you rent DVDs. I wasn't renting one, but I was just standing there. And this little farm man came through the front door. He probably was 5'8". And then his son was behind him, and I swear the kid was like 6'4", and just had giant, like, robot hands and just forearms for days. And I just, I was literally in awe of this structure of this boy that I knew was just hucking hay all day long. I was just like, holy crap, that is a fine specimen. It's in the apples. It must be. I'm telling you, it's where we're genetically messing with these apples and strawberries and pumping cows full of steroids and all that. I'm telling you, that's what it is. Because whenever I was 13, I remember when I was 13, 10, 11, 12, kids look like kids. And now you look at them and... That is crazy. You you might be onto something. It could be Big Apple. It could, you know, like Big Tech. It could be Big Apple. They're they're breeding a race of superhumans. Hey, really quick, also there in Kentucky, do you guys have those hot dogs that are red? Like, do you know how you can get like normal colored hot dogs and then there are hot dogs that are red? Are you talking about like when a dog gets not <laughs> like a red rocket? Oh no. No, you can't buy those. <laughs> when I lived in Alabama, a day you could go to the grocery store and there were always hot dogs for sale and they looked normal. But then there were always these ones that were like half the price, but they were red. 
because I think they just like grind up everything, chicken feet, talons, whatever, whatever they can find, old homework, and just, you know, make these hot dogs. And they were red. And they would sell them at the schools, too. That Like, if you got a hot dog on lunch day at the schools or during lunch, it was It was going to be red? Yeah. It's weird. A lot of chest hair on the women. Well, Boone is one of those kids that are eating the red hot dogs and, yeah. and, and looking like a freak of nature. He's stout. He's big for his age. He's as big as many of the teenagers already. And the older boys start kind of latching on to Boone. More so than Boone latched onto them, because we'll find time and time again throughout the story that Boone doesn't really give a shit whether he's with somebody or not. But the the older boys start to teach Boone how to track and trap animals on the prairie, and uh, his father had given him a large Bowie knife, like Crocodile Dundee, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And where the older boys had preferred to snap the animals' necks that they would catch out on this prairie, Boone, at a pretty early age, just preferred if they were still alive to, to start cutting them up while they were living. He, that was his preference. He liked to, liked to hear them scream. Wow. That's crazy. Now, the boys that that didn't run off stuck to him, but but it, 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 it is noted that a lot of the boys were very, very disturbed by this. Now, he fought a lot. He fought anybody. He fought everybody. He always won. He was always fighting. He was a scrapper from the time he could walk, and he would pick a fight at any given moment with anybody he didn't care how big they were. He, this guy would, th- this kid at this point, would fight a running bandsaw if such a thing existed <laughs> at this time in, in the eighteen late eighteen thirties. And he would win too. And he would probably win. Yes, yes. It's a tough kid. <laughs> On several occasions during fights, his friends would have to pull him off of another child that he was beating to a pulp, and then he would wait and attack. Though his friend that pulled him off the other kid, because he's seen this as a slot, that they would stop him from beating another child to death. Jeez. That's that's overdose on red hot dogs, I would say. Now, you need to keep in mind, he had good parents. Joseph and Nancy were, by all accounts, good, sweet, loving people. This is, you know, you talk about nature versus nurture. This is evil, born bad. Just mm. born bad. Now, he was, like I said, just mean, really mean, almost almost evil. He got a bad reputation pretty quickly, but Boone didn't give a damn about things like that. And by the time he was a teenager, he starts putting on wrestling and boxing matches in the middle of town, and grown men would sign up. So, you know, Boone's 17, 18 years old by this time. He's beating the hell out of all the grown men in town in this boxing and, and wrestling ring, that they this makeshift ring, and he would just... Beat the shit out of the all the grown men that would sign up there. It seems like you would run out of grown men to beat up. Have to start beating up the women folk. Now into his late teens and early twenties, people stopped fighting with him. Not not because they got bored of him, but the, he just he everybody was afraid of him. Everybody was terrified of him, and that's what he he liked that. And nobody will fight with him anymore. And that's his favorite pastime. He's got nothing to do, so he starts picking fights with strangers. Just passing through town, you know, on their way to the west to find them some gold. They stop in the town bar there, and there's Boone waiting for a face that doesn't know who he is yet. So Boone picks a fight with him, and that's how he starts getting his rocks off because people in it that know who he is won't fight him anymore. Now, Boone loves one of his favorite things to do for the ladies, and this is a panty dropper, I've got to say, is, is he's got this big, he's still got this big Bowie knife, right? He loves getting in full gallop. And and taking the 
taking the knife and throwing it into the ground so it's the handle sticking up out of the ground. And then he goes down. This is in the middle of town, you know. All the ladies are watching with their big metal asses mm-hmm. sticking out. And he turns the horse around and he gets a full gallop at the knife sticking out. And then he does this trick where he kicks off of the horse, does a, like a two-hop bounce onto the ground, snags the knife, and then jumps back up into the air on the horse without the horse ever slowing down or stopping. And that's his that's that's his pickup his pickup line, I guess. That's sort of odd. The ladies really. The, I, I, this isn't even a joke. The ladies loved them some Boonhelm, and you know, there's only one existing picture of him. If you look at it, not a bad looking dude for the old west, I guess. Has kind of a Billy the Kid kind of look to him. Got that hat cocked. It looks just looks like an old, an old rugged bad guy cowboy. And there's only one existing image of him. He's, he looks to be in his probably late twenties in the image. But the the girls they really went crazy for them some some Boonhelm. They loved him. Yeah, he looks just sort of no nonsense. Like take this picture so we can fight about the picture. Yeah, hurry up, cameraman. Take your picture and then get your fucking hands up. Get them up. <laughs> That's how am I going to pay for this picture? With my he he kind of reminds me of of Russell Crowe in South Park, and making movies, making songs, and fighting around the world. Or just as Russell Crowe in any movie. Today we're going to fight cancer. Where's that pussy cancer? Now, like I said, the girls went crazy for him. And his family, uh, at this age, they kind of just start ignoring him. They move on with their lives. They're like, he's a lost cause. He's never going to have a job. And they were right. Brothers and sisters, they all had dreams and aspirations and ambitions. We're all good-natured, giving, loving, hardworking people. This is genuinely a, just a bad apple. And, you know, Boone was unfortunately the, like the biggest and the baddest of nowhere USA. Just a, mm. a big old fish in a little dried-up pond. Big angry fish. Yeah. Yes. He's now a full-grown man, and he's constantly still getting into altercations with the police, which... They're, it's the law because this is kind of we're headed towards the west so it's the law because he's always fighting and drunk he spends a lot of nights in jail and on one occasion actually the sheriff tries to arrest Boone for uh, well go figure for beating the hell out of a stranger in the bar so the judge issues a warrant for Boone's arrest the sheriff tries to serve it but he tries to serve it in the street while Boone is mounted on his horse Boone simply refuses to dismount from his horse and instead just kind of ignores the sheriff, goes at full gallop down the street to the courthouse where court is in session, rides his horse up the front steps of the courthouse, through the doors, in the middle of court proceedings, rides his horse to the podium where the judge is and starts cussing the judge, just laying into him, calling him every name in the book, ranting and raving. This terrifies the judge, but the judge is even afraid of him. So the judge drops all charges, including contempt of court. The man is standing, or not standing, sitting on a horse in the middle of the courtroom, and the judge is, please, anything, Boone, just don't kill me. Don't beat my ass. All right, you pussy judge. <laughs> you know you know who else I'm starting to realize is also a big, giant, fat jerk in this whole thing? Who? Boone's horse. Like, yeah. Like, horses are reluctant to do some stuff, but Boone's horse is like, oh, you want me to walk through these doors? Okay, I will. Oh, you want to throw... Uh, you know, he's sounds like a jerk horse, too. 
Well, you'll find out here in a minute. Boone was able to talk his horse into doing a lot of things that horses in general probably don't want to do. Yeah, see, I don't know where I not don't like bestiality. Where this is he, he doesn't oh, okay. do he doesn't right. do any butt things with the horse. All right, this guy isn't a isn't a nut, right? <laughs> um, so they drop all the charges. They drop the judge drops all the charges there on the spot, and on his way out the doors of the courthouse, the cops are standing there waiting, just kind of bewildered at what they had just witnessed. Boone nods, looks at him, kind of smiles, tips his hat at him, and says, "Better luck next time, boys." Wow, that's ballsy. What'd the horse say? It said, <laughs> "Yeah, I thought I thought so." Jerk. Uh, and, and you said he, this is ballsy. I think you can call. By the end of this, you're going to be able to call Boonhelm a lot of things. None of them are good. But if anything, he's ballsy. Okay, he, he is ballsy. If if anything, you cannot, you can't call him a bitch. That's for sure. Now. This little incident really pisses the local law off and puts Boone under a magnifying glass. After this, every single step that he takes is monitored closely by all law enforcement, That that and, and he knows he can't get away with what he used to, what he loves doing, which is fighting and drinking and, and breaking the law, right? Mm-hmm. He needs a distraction. And as far as Boone is concerned, the way to, to provide a distraction to make the law think that he has settled down is to get hitched, to get married. That that'll that'll get him off his tail, right? And and he can at, 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 in this town, he's got the pick of the litter. He can pick anybody he wants because all the girls are just going crazy for this bad boy, this kind of square jawed bad boy. Sounds like he could have all the ladies or a horse if he wanted. Whatever, the sky's the limit for this guy. Well, it is. And in 1848, he picks Lucinda Browning, who is 17 years old. Boone is 20 at the time, and it's actually the one girl in town that apparently he hadn't slept with. She had turned him down on several occasions, and he kind of kind of drove him crazy. So he's like, that's the one I need to marry. Mm. Uh, now, they tie the knot actually in the same courthouse that Boone had rode a horse into just a few months prior. Wow. <laughs> so. Now, the parents of both families, both Lucinda and Boone's, chip in, and they buy them a, a, a housewarming present, which is a house. Oh, that's a big... It's literally a house. They get, they get them a little house and a ranch, and... Unfortunately, on their on their wedding day, Boone gets shit faced, absolutely shit faced, and instead of carrying her past the the threshold into their new home where they're supposed to raise a family, Boone is dragged with his heels dragging the ground to the to their marriage bed where he sleeps off his booze. That's sad. It's sad for her. Now, Boone, Boone wakes up in the morning extremely hungover and extremely angry that he didn't that he didn't get to do sex to Lucinda mm. the night before and cement their wedding he figures this is my wife so he just drags her by her head while she's trying to make breakfast and gets a big handful of hair drags her to the bed and and rapes her rapes her before breakfast then they eat eat breakfast I guess that's terrible after the raping they eat a good breakfast (laughs) that is taxing that's the other part of this that which sets the tone, I think, What for probably, right. if I have to assume, she's uh, no different than everybody else. She's probably scared to death of him. And which makes you wonder, at what point was she terrified was of she scared to death of him when she in- accepted his marriage proposal? You wonder. Well, I mean, she had to be. Everybody was. Even the men. Even the manly men. Everybody's a manly man. This is the, this is the 1800s. Everybody is a manly man. There's no, there's no room for 
or anything but but brow sweat and yeah. and dirty yeah. hands and callous handfuls of hair so Boone starts beating her regularly and whipping her with the belt so he kind of at the slightest the slightest infraction she she gets a whipping like a like a abused child and he spends all their money on booze. He and and this is when Boone goes full blown alcoholic, just drunk twenty four seven. Lucinda, his his young wife, is always ra- walking around town with a black eye, and all the locals start hating Boone even more. So before they just hated him because mm-hmm. he was always kicking their asses, just kicking them all. <laughs> like ah, there comes that fucking guy beat my ass last week in the dollar store. I didn't even say anything to him. <laughs> then he whooped my dad. Like, he would say nothing. And now his wife is walking around with a black eye, too. He's beating her ass. And everybody just hates him so much, but they're all afraid to say anything. Now, like I said, his marriage was just a cover up to make, to kind of get the cops off his tail. He wanted them to leave him the hell alone, make him think he settled down. But whenever Lucinda starts showing up around town with black eyes and busted lips, this blows his cover. So all that Not was for smart, nothing. This boon. Not smart, no. Boone starts riding the horse into the house and letting it eat off his plate at the dinner table. Sometimes he would just tie the horse up in the kitchen. And then he would get mad when the house was dirty and just beat Lucinda's ass. Have you ever been around the horse that... When it takes a shit? Yeah. Yeah. You're lucky. It's like... It's like logs falling out of the sky. Yeah. Like oak logs. Yeah. Green oak logs. It's like it's like those, uh, those fire starter logs you buy at the... You know, the ones that come in paper, you could like permalog or whatever. Except for you're also lucky if, if there's any bit of incontinence in that horse, it also tends to jettison some uh, more more horizontally than just straight down. So eggs, whatever's. Yes. Yeah. That last little co- bit. Whatever's cooking on the stove, if a horse is in the kitchen, probably peppered with poop. And this is on a wood floor too, like because everything's a wood floor. I don't know. I don't know the eighteen, the mid eighteen hundreds. Do you think could very well be? Yeah, I mean, wood floors would be an upgrade from what was probably pretty. Yeah, that would have been like uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder kind of you know Little House on the Prairie time. So now Lucinda is is responsible for all the accounting in the house, the bills, the money. She she manages their money, and she starts to have to to make us a. a a plan payment for Boone's gambling and drinking debts and their finances. That's how bad it's gotten. Boone is eventually turned down from all saloons and bars within his vicinity, and he becomes desperate for money so he can drink. It's at this point that that a couple of Boone's friends offer to bring him along with them to find gold in the mountains. This is the gold rush, mm-hmm. right? Everybody's looking for gold. And and Boone is gone for, for many months. Now, while he's gone... Lucinda realizes she's pregnant and she needs to get out, which is pretty bold of her in this time for a woman to to file for a divorce. This is a this is a pretty ballsy woman in herself. This this woman's got some got some probably some. Let me ask you this. So you said he's gone for several months. While he's gone, she realizes she's pregnant. Um, is there any indication that the child wasn't his? Not, not in my research. 
it is definitely Boone's. That's definitely, I mean, I'd run for the hills. I'd get a divorce because he comes home and sees that whole situation going down. That kid's probably not going to live very long. Yeah, he's well, he's probably can't do math, so he'd just be like, oh, yeah, that's mine. Yeah. Let me hit it. Yeah. So You're, uh, you're well, 24 well, months pregnant? Okay, fine. He was only gone, uh, I believe it was two months, two or three months. Okay. But while he's gone, like I said, Lucinda realizes she's pregnant. She files for divorce. And then when Boone comes down from the mountains, he he comes home to an empty house with no wife. He also didn't find any gold, so he has no money to file the divorce in court. And nobody is taking his side anyway because they've all seen Lucinda sporting black eyes and, and, and and bruises around town. Now, against what Boone wants, the divorce is finalized and Boone loses the house to Lucinda. He then tries to return home, return home with his parents, and when he gets there, he he sees that the house and the farm is completely empty. The parents had packed up and bounced as well. No brothers, no family left, no wife, and his daughter Lucy. Uh, he he can't have anything to do with Boone. Is is at for the first time in his life, one hundred percent completely alone. Wow, no, like that's that's pretty impressive. Like his family even left and didn't say anything. And not only that, but a whole family leaves town and nobody says anything to him. Like, wow, that's 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 impressive. Now, to add on to while the family was gone and to add on how good of uh, how good of people these people were. The reason they had left is because they had sold everything they owned and giving it and and had paid for all of Lucinda's end of the divorce proceeded costs and then given her all their money oh my gosh so that they so that they could cover raising the child and the divorce costs they, they wanted to clear hopefully clear their name the boone the helm name of any harm that boone had done to it by saying uh we're gonna take we're gonna make sure this child lives a happy you know provided life wow and we're in doing so, we're going to bankrupt ourselves. And and so they ended up coming back to Kentucky with nothing, and they ended up dying poor and and pretty much bankrupt because of Boone. Wow, that's crazy. They gave everything they owned to clear their name. They just died as a family, just like came back and died. They all they came back to Kentucky and they said, "Well, we're poor now. We better, I guess, we better die." So- and then they sat down and they just That's died. That's crazy. I didn't know families in Kentucky do it that way. That's, you know, there's something special yeah, about that. Yeah, we just died together. I mean, we just kind of set a date. We're like, I ain't doing nothing on Tuesday, mm-hmm. the 30, 31st. What about you? And then the wife is like, oh, I mean, I was, I had a thing with the with my friends, but I can cancel. I'm like, you want to die that day? She's like, yeah, I mean, I ain't doing nothing. So you just sit down and you just think really hard about it together. And then you die. Should we, uh, should we invite Clyde? I mean, no, no, he's your cousin. This, I, I, let's just keep this in the direct family. So, so no, Clyde, fine. All right, let's swing by Hardy's just real quick before we do this, and you know that way we die. Oh, damn it, Linda! I don't want to die with a full stomach and rot gut. You know they say you poop yourself whenever you, whenever you die. That's a good point. Good point. They, Those charboiled thick burgers always make me give me the bubble guts, <laughs> Linda. Linda. So Boone starts. Boone, like I said, is completely alone. Boone lets his hygiene go to go to, go to shit, and he starts sleeping in the stables because he's homeless. So he smells awful. Homeless. He's sleeping in the stables. The town hates him, and, and they also honestly aren't all that afraid of him anymore. He's he kind of becomes a joke. Mm-hmm. He, he's a has been. He's the has been bad boy. 
right? Because now he just smells like ass and his hair's all long and he's got a beard and he's like, oh, you want to fight? And they're just like, shut up, Boone. <laughs> you old dumb drunk bastard. <laughs> he's, he's, he isn't even young. He's still in his 20s. Wow. Uh, so, so I think that looking for some kind of companionship, he befriends his second cousin whose name was Little Burry Shoot. <laughs> Little Berry Shoot. That's not a name. Who was a teenager. That's like a dance. That is a name. I think that's just that's that is a name. No. That's a that's a that's a that's a verb. So they start drinking together every single night and and Boone kind of starts dragging this kid down with him. He's Little Berry's about 17 and he's just Boone is leading him down the wrong path. Now, Little Barry, though, is is fairly intelligent in the aspect that he has a knack for bouncing before she gets too serious. Like when Boone's picking a fight, Little Barry kind of you know that you know that gif of Homer Simpson where he kind of melts slowly it. backs into the bush. <laughs> yes, that's Little Barry. Whenever shit goes down, starts going down. Little Barry just kind of backs into the bush. Little Barry's smart, and then when it's over, he comes back out with a cowboy hat yeah. on. Like, so he's fairly intelligent. Now, Boone gets it in his head. You know, he's got no money, no family, nowhere to stay. He wants to leave. And he starts nagging Little Barry about leaving with him. We're either going to go to Texas. We might go to California. We're going we're gonna to strike gold. We're going to be millionaires. We're going to be rich. Little Barry keeps saying no, keeps saying no. And then it kind of gets to a point where Boone doesn't really give him an option. He gets Little Barry really ex- extremely drunk one night. And at, at the bar that he had somehow weaseled his way back into and and talks him into going to Texas. And Little Barry kind of reluctantly is like, yeah, yeah, I'll go to Texas. Just shut the fuck up, Boone. Whatever. <clears throat> you know, can we just drink? Yeah, we're going to Texas tomorrow. Uh, can we drink? It, it was that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like just getting him to shut yeah. up. Placating Boone. Yes. So on September 14th of 1851, which was the following morning, Boone shows up, hung over, hung over as hell at Little Barry's house, with everything he owned on his back. He he quickly realizes though, he gets in the cabin, looks around and, and realizes little nothing is packed at Littleberry's house. Nothing is nothing is packed at all. He's not ready to go now. Hmm. So Boone looks at him real calmly and says and it's also important to note whenever I do Boone quotes, I'm also from Kentucky, so there's a good chance that what the way I sound <laughs> where he was born is literally Fifteen minutes from where I'm sitting right now. So you guys have the exact same dialect, exact same accent. Now the way that we, well, actually, the way we say things won't be different either because I'm quoting him. These are all quotes. Mm. So it might be what he said, like sounded like, at least with the with the with the accent and everything. It's it's accurate. He sees little Barry hasn't packed anything. He looks him in the eyes and he says, "What do you say to the Texas question?" And little Barry says, "I say no." So this is the first sign of Little Barry bucking on him, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of poking his chest out. It doesn't last long because that's the point that Boone pulls out his trusty Bowie knife and shoves it right through Little Barry's heart. Oh my gosh! Whoa. Also, that sucks because that dude put that knife in the dirt so much. I'm sure it wasn't super sharp. Ow! Nothing is super sanitary in the in 1800s either. Nothing. Little Barry dies instantly. Yeah, uh, Boone Boone loots everything of value in the house. And then bounces for California because everybody at the bar had heard them yelling about Texas the night before. Mm, he's throwing them off. So this is Boone's first murder. First murder. The first of, of very many and literally countless. I would say in the hundreds. Of murders? Murders. Oh, my gosh. Yes. 
Wow. Um, I, I mean, there's so many murders doing my research that it would go on parts in in the book that I read where it would be like, and then Boone made his way to Oregon, and on the way there, he killed between 24 and 36 people. Oh, wow. Like they that just, kind of thing. They just stop using names and stuff. Everybody's just called a number. Yes. Oh, man. Because it was by the dozens. Wow. Like, there were anywhere Boone traveled, there were just graves littering the roadside. Amazing. And that's why I read the quote, you know, uh, the pale horse, and the name it said on him was Death, mm-hmm. because hell followed with him. Like, that is Boone Helm. Mm. Like, hell followed with him, and he was Death. Wow. Now, Boone doesn't properly prepare for this big trek that he's going on to California. He just has, like, a skin, which is made out of a bladder, right? I think that's how they made those, right? Yeah. That they drink out of. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, he has one skin of water. California's 1,500 miles <laughs> On a horse through mostly desert. <laughs> Idiot. He said, you know what? He sounds like this one kid that always went to scout camp with me. I felt bad because, like, my mom always packed my stuff and, you know, I felt relatively prepared. But every time this kid would come, he'd, like, literally have, like, one pair of socks in a backpack and a giant bag of gummy bears. Like, that's all he brought. I don't even know if he had a sleeping bag. The kid, we called him Buckethead, but which was probably sad now that I think about it. It's like he probably didn't deserve it. And his mom didn't prepare him. Pro- but anyway, that kid froze all the time and was just only eating gummy bears. This one time I had a friend staying all night with me, and we were laying in bed. It was my brother and then me and then my buddy, who I'm not going to say the name of. And my dad came in at like 2 o'clock in the morning, and he was hammered, like shit-faced drunk. And my buddy, I'll say his name. His name was Aura. He doesn't care. Aura, Aura was asleep, right? And his, Aura's facing the wall towards me and my brother. But my dad, we were probably like 11 years old, 9, 10, 11 years old. My dad stumbles into the bedroom. He's blackout drunk. And he, he, he walks over right over Aura. And he pulls his, his wiener out, Dad does, and starts pissing all over my friend. What? <laughs> Why? Dad thought he was in the bathroom. Oh, my god! He was so drunk, he thought he was in the bathroom. <laughs> and my poor friend, who's asleep, wakes up to this warm, heavy stream on his on his back. And I'm just horrified. I'm just, I've, I've watched this from, like, I, didn't, I, was, I wasn't asleep. So I've watched all this just unfold, literally, from my dad's pants. And just... And Aura wakes up and kind of rolls over, and he just... I, I can't imagine how horrifying this had to be. Just, there's a grown man's penis <laughs> pissing all over him in the middle in a, in a in this strange house. Oh, my gosh. That's terrible. The only thing that ever happened with me sleeping with the dude was uh, when I was younger... I can't remember. Maybe 12, 13, 12, 13, 14. I had a friend over, and his name was Mikael... Uh, he's since changed it to Mick. He was also on, I think, The Bachelor or something like that. It's one of those shows. He, he's a doctor. Super beautiful now. Anyway, when we were younger, he had longer hair in the back, uh, and it was curly and stuff. And, it, you know, it was beautiful. He had beautiful hair. I'll, I'll give him that. And we are young enough that, like, when we went to bed, we just laid down on my bed and went to sleep. It wasn't like, you know, I don't know. We were at that age where it didn't matter or whatever, you know? 
I guess. We weren't at an age where it creeped us out at all, at all, at least. My mom didn't know. It, it threw her off when she came in the room, though, and saw this long hair lying next to me. Mick got a, uh, a bit of a jolt that morning. She didn't pee on him, though. That's good. That For us, it was always like the goal was to stay up until sunrise. Mm. As a kid, I don't know why that's such a, like, oh, my God, we were awake, and then it was, like, dark out, and then it was, like, light again, <laughs> and we weren't asleep at any time. Did you know that it did that? Like, the, if you just wait long enough, it becomes light again. I had to, I, I was not good sleep at sleepovers. I couldn't. I couldn't stand the dark. I had overactive imagination. I always. I. I was never comfortable, and I'm always in somebody else's house. So I would stay up till dawn, not because I wanted to, but I would just lay there until like I start hearing birds chirping. You know, in the early dawn hours, and I'm like, eh, well. There goes another night. That's <laughs> that's an idiot. Now, Boone is is he runs out of water pretty quickly. He's he's over. He's going over at this point, like kind of wooded, dry landscape, and he starts zigzagging all over the landscape. And the reason he's zigzagging is he's looking for water. He's he's ran out of water. He's looking for water. The horse is dying. Boone realizes this. Boone jumps off and starts leading it, just walking the horse instead of riding it. He has no food. He has no water. Now, meanwhile, Little Barry's body is found pretty quickly, and they immediately know who killed him. It's obviously Boone Helm. Mm. It's really the only like future murderer in this town so far. So they quickly throw together a posse for a manhunt. Now, they had noted that Boone had left heading towards California, not Texas, so they knew where he was going. They said, yeah, he was talking about Texas the night before, but we watched him leave town, and he was headed towards California. So they, they get on his tracks for a few days. They've got dogs. And they're on his tracks, and after a few days, they finally discover his horse dead, and it's tied to a dead tree. And Boone is found less than 50 foot away, trying to suck what little moisture he can out of a purely stagnant mud puddle. Delicious. Yeah, it's my favorite. That's actually what, to me, that's what Dasani tastes like. Who drinks that shit? You know what makes me, you know what I can't stand? I don't know how this is so popular. Kombucha? Have you ever had kombucha? Isn't that Indian tea? I don't know. It tastes like stomach acid. <laughs> it's disgusting. I've never had it, I don't think. <laughs> I don't know why everybody drinks it. If you if you do yoga, you probably like kombucha. And I don't even know anybody that's done yoga. Nah. Let alone done it myself. <laughs> now, Boone was Boone was near death and ready to give up. I mean, he was like, "Okay, you caught me. Fuck." Like, do you have any water? Like, he doesn't really care. You know, yeah. <clears throat> they arrest him right there on the spot, spot and start the long trek home, which is going to take days. Now, Boone has already got this mapped out in his head. And for days, the whole way back, he's just giggling <laughs> and laughing at nothing. He's mumbling to himself and fidgeting with his fingers. At one point, he, he jumps down off the horse and tries running off into the landscape and where they chase him down on hog time with his hands behind his back. And for the rest of the ride, he rides thrown over the horse on his stomach with his feet dangling off the sides and his hands tied behind his back. But the entire time, he's giggling and muttering and everything. Now, at nighttime, when they have to make a campfire, he mumbles and mumbles and mumbles and keeps everybody in the posse awake that nobody can get some sleep. And Boone is <laughs> he's just sitting Indian-style in the camp, just trying to talk to him. And they're like, for the love, will somebody make him shut up, please? <laughs> By the time they get back to town, they decide, he's convinced them, they decide he's crazy as hell. 
out of his mind, and that would it be it would be inhumane to hang this man and to send him to the gallows because he's clearly absolutely insane. And the judge instead they listen to he listens to the to the sheriff and the posse, and they send him to the insane asylum back east. He's twenty four years old at the time. Wow. To the surprise of no one, the crazy had all been faked. It's said that the second the stagecoach that was carrying him out carrying him out east out of Missouri, the second he crossed the state line, he dropped the act. He just kind of straightened up, smiled, and went right back to his old self. For the most part. For the most part, he went back to himself. He put on a different mask for these people. Mm. And that was one of polite, friendly, and funny nature. All the staff loved him at the asylum. They loved him. He was one of their favorite patients. They say he was funny. He was polite. He was sweet. They would sneak him cigarettes and anything else he wanted. All Boone had to do was ask for it. That's amazing switch. It makes you wonder, like, how does a guy who can't seem to, you know, keep two nickels without drinking them somehow switch his whole persona like that? It's amazing. Very manipulative. Mm, yes. He's extremely manipulative. Now, doctors notice him pacing his cell one night, and they're wor- worried about him. And they say, this guy, he's just, he's a good guy. He's just got all this, ugh, this wound up aggression and just angst that he needs to get out so for the for his pacing they prescribed to him exercise and outside work in the garden that was how they hmm. that was those were medical professionals okay yeah smart smart dudes there now one orderly in particular took note took, took became good friends with boone and and eventually boone talks him in to let to going on walks with him in the evenings uh, so so like a dog this orderly would come and get boone and take him out for a walk around the Around the 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 asylum grounds, you know, along the line of the woods, the woods' edge, and they would share cigarettes and stories. And this is when Boone starts planning his escape. Every night, he starts asking to stop at the same tree. He would go into that spot, take a leak, and then come back out. He did this for for weeks to kind of establish some comfort with this orderly. You know, he's he's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, go in there and take a piss. So this goes on for event. what eventually becomes months, just becomes part of their walk. Yeah, we're going to walk, we're going to smoke cigarettes, we're going to stop at this tree, Boone's going to go piss, and then we're going to get back to our walk. He's a good friend of mine. He would never do nothing to, to fuck me over. Well, one, new, one night while Boone's in there pissing, another employee comes up and starts speaking to the doctor, or to the orderly. And while this orderly is distracted, Boone makes a, makes a run for it. He, he bounces. <laughs> uh, the orderly goes into the woods. He's like, Boone? Boone? <laughs> Oh, fuck. <laughs> now, he doesn't tell anybody. He doesn't tell a single soul because he's a humil- He's embarrassed. Sure. And nobody noticed that Boone was missing for three days. Wow. Nobody notices. This, talk about poor accountability for your, like, for three days. <sighs> nobody notices he's missing. When they did realize he was missing, they didn't bother looking for him because they went, ah, he'll die out there in the wilderness. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> That's <a death> <laughs> Different time, man. Different, different time. Definitely different time. Because Boone was the only one in there who probably could have survived out there. They, man, that they have that kind of regard for the people. Holy cow. This is when they locked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They'd give him anything he wanted. They'd ah, he'll die out there. Jeez. All right, so Boone's stumbling around out in the wilderness, wilderness now, and he's, he's doing so for a few days. And his plan, he doesn't really have a plan. Boone never has a plan, really. But... He eventually gets picked up by an old prospector that's heading west for the gold rush. Now, this is a kind, giving man. He uh, he, he gives Boone his wa- all the water he could want. He he lets Boone eat his food. And when they come to a pl- when it's time to pitch camp, 
Boone just sits back, puts his head on a rock, and watches him erect the camp and make the campfire and get the food ready to cook for him. So Boone doesn't even help him. Hmm. Even after saving his life, Boone just watches him do everything. Sounds like Boone. Yeah. He, uh, but Boone eventually gets caught scavenging through the man's belongings, and when the man finds Boone going through his backpack, he, he jumps on him. For the first time in his life, Boone, Boone kind of gets his ass kicked. Oh. But unfortunately comes back with a large rock and caves the man's head in, killing him instantly and knocking him to the ground. This, however, wasn't enough for Boone. Angered that he had got his ass whooped for the first time, he, he straddles the man's chest and beats the man's head with the rock until it's literally just a pile of mush just uh, he he essentially decapitates him but not really there's nothing left but a neck but he just turns the head into ground so he pulverizes the head decapitates him by pulverizing his head wow yes that's this is a man who had given everything he owned to him and did everything he could to to save his life right it's a bummer because i had high hopes for that prospector seeing as how he almost took boone darn it shoot now after turning his head into hamburger meat, he, ta- he, he takes all his belongings. Uh, Boone now has a tent, a donkey, money, and clothes. He's doing well for himself, but not really because he didn't earn any of that. He, somebody else was doing well. You'll actually see this a lot in this story. Somebody else is doing well for themselves, and then suddenly Boone Helm is doing well for himself. <laughs> you know what? I feel like we've done this whole episode before. Who, who does it remind you? Oh, Ken Rex McElroy? Yeah, they're like cut from the same cloth, these two. They they really are. Well, the difference in, in Boonhelm and Ken Rex McElroy is Boone will shoot to kill. Boone, uh, if yeah. Boone says he's going to kill you, Rex was a big pussy in the aspect that he just wanted the grays. Yeah. Like he was too scared to actually take somebody's life, right? That's true. That's true. He was a coward. Boonhelm was shooting the kill. He had no problems with murder. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, the Good more point. the better as far as he was concerned. Yes. So Boone takes all his belongings. Like I said, he's got a tent now, a donkey, money, and clothes. And he spends the next few months heading out west. Uh, he would steal when he got low on supplies or kill. This is one of those parts where it's just like, gonna take a fucking montage. <laughs> and it's just a bunch of murders. <laughs> like, a lot of murders. <laughs> I would say too many murders. I'll say it. Too many murders. <laughs> Excessive number of murders. Just so many murders. This is one of those points in, where in the book, it's like, and then he murdered 30 people. <laughs> and then you turn the page, right? He just killed a whole bunch of people. Yeah. Oh so when it, So whenever he got low on supplies, Boone would just kill. He'd be like, oh, looks like I'm out of leather. That guy's <laughs> probably got some leather. And he would kill the guy. And maybe yeah. the guy wouldn't even have any leather. He'd be like, oh, my mistake. Bummer. Next guy will. Wow. So eventually there's a he, he hits a dry spell where he's not coming up on any other people heading out west or food. So he, he just gets off. He stops, gets off his donkey, shoots it in the face, and cuts the donkey up right there on the road and starts eating his donkey. Whoa. Jeez. He lives on his donkey as long as he can. And then uh, one day he's sitting up on a hill. And he spots a hunter down in the holler with at a, at a campsite. So there's a hunter down there camping next to his fire. Boone kind of shimmies up to a to a good vantage point, takes aim with his rifle, and snaps him from the hillside. Kills him instantly. Jeez. So Boone is start, nearly starving to death. He's he's excited. He gets down to the camp though, and discovers that the hunter had no food. The hunter was also starving. 
There's no food. There's nothing there. <laughs> he just killed this man for no reason. So that night, Boone is sitting there on a log in front of the campfire under the big, the big beautiful moon, starving to death. And he's looking at the he's looking at the fire. He's rubbing his hands, and then he sees you know the the silhouette of that man's corpse, kind of silhouetted <sighs> there in the moonlight. Oh. And he's eyeing he's he's eyeing the fire, and he's looking back at the corpse. He looks at the fire. Finally, he 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 gets to, he crawls over to the corpse. He's so weak that he can't even walk. He crawls, pulls that big Bowie knife out. And begins cutting chunks of the corpse's leg off. And then he crawls back and he only half cooks it. He eats it half raw. Uh, so he starts choking really? down these chunks of leg meat from this dead man. And he finds he likes it. Tastes It's delicious. So he goes back for more. And more. And more. Mm. And he does this for hours. And by morning, he had ate a large amount of the hunter. Like, jeez, wow! How could you eat that much of a person in one sitting? Like, that's an excessive amount of person to eat. That is more than what more than a serving's worth of human. Probably had around three thousand calories, three or four thousand calories. He's it's terrible, but he's got his energy back. He's feeling good. He, he's got food in his belly. Uh, he steals everything of, of value from the hunter's campsite, saddles up, and starts heading the trail back to west. Man, completely energized, and and the only regret that he has. Is that he didn't take one of the legs for the road? He, he didn't. He didn't cut one of the legs off and bring it with him for the road. Like a little, like packing his lunch. A little bit of regret. He's like, ah, I really shoulda, shoulda made a lunchable out of that guy. A few weeks later, he comes across a caravan and trades for another horse. And not long afterwards, he finally crosses the state line into California, headed out California way. Boom! Made it to California. <laughs> uh, boom. Now, it's here that Boone links up with three very distant cousins in California. How this happened is we're not sure, but somehow he does. He has distant cousins in California. Their names were John, Ham, and William Johnson. And John, Ham, and William Johnson were also a couple or three, a trio of outlaws and shitheads. And uh, they caught they had caught word that he was in the area, and somehow they linked up. And they wanted to spend time with their cousin because they wanted to see what he was made of. Like, want to know if he was a roughneck, mm-hmm. roughneck or not. Mm-hmm. So they spend the the four of them spend the first night drinking and bragging about their es- exploits. You know, John is like, you know, I stole out of a vending machine twice, <laughs> and Ham's like, well, yeah, well, one time I've I've ripped so many tags off mattresses. <laughs> Man, one time my mima she was sleeping, her mouth was open, I farted right in her mouth, <laughs> right in Mima's mouth. You did not. Ham, shut up. You did not. I did. I swear it. Swear on this Bible. Well, and then William was the youngest. He was like, one time I let Meemaw fart in my mouth. Damn, William. And then one time I let Meemaw fart in my mouth every night one time. She helped me down, actually. It's William. We're like, damn, little Bill. <laughs> little Bill. Meemaw. Damn, little Bill. Meemaw had you over a barrel. And well, your breath smells like shit all the time, little Bill. <laughs> that, and we, they haven't invented toothbrushes yet. Boone looks at him, he's like, I could tell you've been close to a butt, because you should see my kitchen back home. Looks like your face. So, in reality, they still, they share, you know, pretty much normal West, you know, crimes. Like, low-level robbery, stuff like that. Boone kind of rolls his eyes at, at their little childish stories, and, and one of them, one of the brothers gets mad and says, what have you done to roll your eyes at us? And Boone <laughs> says, quote, Many's a poor devil I've killed, 
and at one time or another, and the time has been that I have obliged to feed on some of them. And it's at that point that everybody shut the hell up, and it killed the mood for the for the <laughs> evening, and everybody just kind of stopped bragging, and they were like, oh, fucking eight people. <laughs> William burps a fart up. Everybody's like, Meemaw? It's like crickets, 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 burp. Boone spends the next three months with the Johnson brothers drinking and just being pieces of shit, you know, rowdy. But, unfortunately, Boone kills a man in a bar fight and has to go on the run again. So he accidentally kills another man in a bar fight. Accidentally. It's just like, oh, damn it, I killed another person. I gotta be on the run. Gotta hit the road, fellas. I wonder if he he said to his, his kin after he did that, he's like, well, best I head home. I poop my pants. I'll be damned. Well, gotta go, fellas. I poop myself. <laughs> he probably said that to get out of there. You know. Old Andy Helm. I still laugh about so that. So this time, this time he's headed to Oregon. Now, one thing you can call, like I said, you could call Boone a lot of things, but another thing that you can honestly refer to him as is well traveled. Mm. He is well traveled. And on his way to, on his way back, on his way to Oregon, he meets up with six other outlaws and they all become a posse of bandits. And they start just robbing and killing anybody in their path that may have something of value. So this is another one of those points in Boone's life where it's just another montage of a whole lot of fucking people dying. (laughs) Just everybody's dying. Once he gets to Oregon, it's just more of the same. Stealing and killing. Stealing and killing. Stealing and killing. Boone starts gaining a reputation and it becomes harder to go places where people don't know him. And by October of 1859... The gang decides it's time to move states again because they're basically unwanted everywhere they go in the entire state, especially Boonhelm. So they want to go somewhere where their their faces aren't recognized, and they pick Utah, yeah. beautiful state of Utah. They set their sights for Camp Floyd, Utah, where a large silver deposit had been discovered, and the town was actually gl- growing and flourishing. They also knew that Utah was primarily Mormon, mm-hmm. and this gang of idiots thought that polygamy meant women just kind of fucked everybody. That's what they thought. <laughs> they thought, yeah, man, the Mormons, they're Mormon. The women down there, they're just like, you got a penis, won't you do something with it over here? Like, that's what they kind of thought Mormon men. Yeah. Well, it's it's yeah, it's, it's a loose interpretation. I would say relatively accurate. Now, halfway on their trek to Utah, they cross a, a, a group of digger Indians. They call them diggers because... They, they burrow back into the mountainside. This kind of Instead of making tents or teepees or huts, they kind of burrow like the Viet Cong. <laughs> <laughs> and that was unnecessary, and I'm sorry. That's <laughs> what it was. Perfect. <laughs> uh, I'm leaving that in. Yeah, you should. Uh, <laughs> Now, and they call them diggers. They're like, for whatever, the Indians during this time, like, to white people, they were, like, classified the way that you classify, like, Mad Maxian. Thought, but, like, this is the digger clan, right? The digger <laughs> clan. Yeah. yeah. Over there, We're those the are the walkers. The walker people. Diggers here. Eithers over there. Pokey pokey spear people over there. There's the witness me ones where they... Sp- they, they're right into Valhalla with all shiny and chrome. <laughs> exactly. My goodness. And you know they use that, they use digger with a hard R. Yeah. It wasn't digger. 
<laughs> no. They were like, ah, oh, it's a bunch of damn diggers. Damn. Another another digger. Stupid digger. I feel like we could say that all night long and not be in trouble. And it, well, uh, apparently these, they also referred to themselves as, selves as digger Indians too, so... I don't even think that's a. I don't even know. I don't think that's a uh, a racial slur, even to even to this this clan of Indians. No. They, well, they are diggers. They they are they're the Indians, so they can say it to each other. Yeah, but you, but you can't. But say they don't it. use it with an R. They say D I G G A. Yeah. What's up, my digger? Like that? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Sounds like another thing that had happened in Utah a lot. That the Indians were saying, "What's up, my digger?" And all the white people were. Have saying, you ever been to Utah? Op? I have. Yeah. Yes. All the white people there say, "What's up, my brigga?" Brigga. Because of what is what does brigga stand for? Brigham Young. Oh, what's up, okay. my brigga? I see what you did there. <laughs> I see what you did there. Okay. Okay. Because they're all Mormon. Yeah. Now, while Boone and his clan were crossing a river there, they start taking fire. And it, according to Boone, it was as if the, the woods came to life and started shooting at them. They couldn't figure out where it was coming from. And it was these digger Indians. Boone was never one to, like, turn down a fight, but he was... He realized him and his crew were, like, drastically outnumbered. And they ran for it. And they ran for it. And they ran for it. And these Indians chased them for miles and miles and miles. Eventually, they're they're able to lose them. But by the time they lose them, they're kind of like semi-lost. And they're out in the middle of nowhere in this open landscape in Utah. It's hot, dry. And they, they decide to set up camp for the night. So they find a river. And they put their backs to the river. And they, they leave a sentry up for the night. So nobody can sneak up from the back. They assign a sentry to stay up through the night with shifts. And they and they they rest in for the night. Now Boone wakes up the next morning and realizes he didn't get woken for his duty. That's when he he stands up to to check things out and realizes that the 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 second or third century that was on duty had had his throat slit in the middle of the night. So Oof. the the Indians had snuck up and slit his throat. And then I guess as a sign of like we had you, you know, we could have killed all of you while you were sleeping. Just as a sign, they they just left their buddy there to bleed out. This freaks the crew out, so they hit the woods and the mountain. Unfortunately, you know, uh, a few weeks up in the mountains, they get, they're already low on supplies. They get blindsided by snow, so we're facing kind of a, a Donner Party almost situation here. Mm-hmm. That's the way it goes. You hit the mountains, the mountains hit back. They do, and they hit them with about six foot of snow. Oof. So they're, they're starving to death. They're up, they're way up in the mountains. They're lost. They end up finding finding an old hunting cabin, but when they got there, it was empty of supplies and had been abandoned for the winter. If only they had a Russian guide with them, they would have made it. Yeah, a Diatlov. <laughs> <laughs> and instead, we would be going. And then, and the one that was called Boonhelm had his skull crushed, and his tongue was missing. <laughs> and his fingernails were peeled up underneath his face. Because he was trying to, <laughs> and we climb don't a tree. know why. <laughs> and half of a UFO was sticking out of one of them, but we don't know why. Now, like I said, the cabin was empty of supplies. They stay there for a few weeks, though. They get really desperate and they start eating their horses. Oof! So at least they go for the horses first, you know, before they start eating each other. Boone takes the hide of the horses and makes himself a pair of winter boots out of them. 
And then and and one of the crew members in 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 Boone's little posse here's name is Burton. And Boone or Burton kind of pulls Boone to the side from the rest of the guys and he's like, "Listen, man, me and you, we're the only two that's got it. These other guys aren't going to make it. They ain't got what it takes, but me and you, we're going to stick together no matter how bad it gets." And Boone, not having any affection for anybody really, is like, "Okay, yeah, whatever, dude." <laughs> he I could just see it. He starts quizzing Burton on like, so how fit are you? How uh, how much muscle do you think you've got? Um, you know, what's your gross weight? Uh, you know, would you say you have a lot of marbling? Were, do we, were you grain fed as a child? More free range or more fenced in? Would you say? You'll start noticing throughout these stories that Boone kind of looks at a friend that, like a Swiss Army knife. Like <laughs> he is good conversation. But it's also like having a lunch pail that just kind of walks behind you, like that you don't have to carry. <laughs> it's just a, it's a bag of food walking behind you. Yeah, like I don't even have to carry this; it just follows me. And then when I get hungry, it's right there, <laughs> and I can talk to it. That's how Boone looks at a friend. It really is. I'm not even. That's how he sees a person. All of Boone's friends are just smart vending machines. That's it. That is it. Wow. So, uh, the the crew eventually decides they've 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 eaten their horse. They've eaten all the horses. They don't have anything left to eat. It's walk out or die. Those are the two options. That's probably that at the time that probably wasn't what Boone was thinking. He's like, actually, well, there's I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven options here, <laughs> but. If you guys want to walk, yeah, we'll do that until you all start dying, and then I'll have. <laughs> right. I'm going to be fine either way. Everybody's like, why every time one of us dies, do you wrap us in saran wrap and cover us with snow? I'm curious. It's like, don't worry about it. I, I just don't want you to be freezer burnt out here. That's all. Don't worry about it, January dinner. Because I don't have any pizza boxes to cover you with out here. So they start walking. Eventually, after days of walking through knee-deep snow in the wilderness. They come upon an abandoned town called Soda Springs. They're elated when they see it, you know, come up on the horizon. They think, ah, thank God we made it. But they get there and just find that it's also been abandoned for the winter. There's no supplies there, just like the old hunting cabin they had had found. So it's at this point, you know, they're kind of laying in this old abandoned empty cabin trying to get warm. Boone and Burton make the decision Ah, we we got to keep pushing. We got to keep pushing. And the other members are, have kind of given up. And Boone and Burton push on, and all the rest of the guys starve to death. So they all die. So now it's Boone and Burton alone. They're pushing through the through the snow again. They walk for days and days and days, eating only snow and small dried strips of horse meat, just like what little they that's, had had left. Just little strips of dry raw horse meat. They had it. They they at least had figured out where they were though, and were trying to get to a place called Fort Hall. Fort Hall which was an old fur trading post. After days and days of walking, their feet are blistered, their 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 thighs are blistered. They've probably got frostbite in several locations. They're starving to death. The only thing they're not is dehydrated because of the because they have plenty of snow to eat, but within di- within eyesight of Fort Hall, Burton collapses, <clears throat> probably 2 or 300 meters from the front door. Boone keeps walking. Goes into the uh, into Fort Hall, starts a fire. He he discovers mm. first of all, Fort Hall has also been abandoned for the winter, also empty, so it's completely abandoned. But Boone starts a fire, gets it gets it good and warm in there and cozy. Then goes back for the first 
the first sign of compassion in Boonhelm's life. He goes back, picks Burton up, and saves his life, and packs him back to Fort Hall. How noble of him. Give it just a minute. Oh. Burton wakes up next to a warm fire. He's cozy. He's warm for the first time in days. And he's next to the fireplace. Boone is sitting Indian style beside him, just kind of facing the door. And he's tapping the tip of that knife, that that Bowie knife on the on the on the hardwood floor there. Burton kind of surveys the scene there, and he's like, "Oh, Boone saved me. Everything's okay. I'm hungry, but I'm warm and I'm comfortable, and I'm so exhausted, and I'm just gonna go back to sleep." Boone is watching the door, but he drifts back off into sleep. Now he's extremely exhausted. Sleeps probably for a day or so. But the next time he wakes up, he is experiencing an excruciating amount of pain on his right thigh. What do you think he's getting ready to open his eyes to up? Um, I'm guessing since the place was abandoned, it's not a, a rough lap dance from Boone. Uh, it kind of is because oh. he wakes up and sees that Boone has taken a belt and made a tourniquet and placed the tourniquet all the way up his right leg, firmly up. On the inside of his testicles, there, right up against his, at the very top of his thigh, and tighten that tourniquet as tight as he can possibly get it. And Boone has his knee pinned, and he's got Burton's leg pinned against the ground. So he's he's taking a knee on Burton's leg. That's what Burton wakes up oh. to. Boone is also holding in that hand that huge Bowie knife. And it's at this point that Boone starts just sawing at Burton's thigh about halfway up. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> just like the animals that he used to kill, living and screaming. Yeah, exactly. Now, Burton is still very weak from the from the hunger, the starvation. He's dazed, and he can't put up a much of a fight. So he fights the best he can, but it's no match for, for Boone. Boone saws all the way around the leg, and when he gets to the point where it's just the femur... So he has, you know, two separate pieces of meat and, and the femur there. He he hacks at the bone while Burton is still still awake. Oh, gosh. He hacks at the bone. He takes big chips out of it. And then Boone stands up, grabs the heel, and jumps with all of his might down on the femur to snap it off. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh. Burton is screaming the entire time. Boone now has one leg, one whole leg. And Boone is doing this very matter-of-factly, not like he's horrified by this. He's like, this is just what we do, man. Like, you know, I'm starving, and you have some good-looking legs. <laughs> I'm not going to go hungry. <laughs> now, let's get into what what Boone's plans were for this. Obviously, he's going to eat the leg, right? It might come as a bit of shock to you, Op, that Boone does not want Burton to die because Boone knows that they're going to have to be in this cabin for many weeks. They've got to They've got to outlast the winter. Oh, he needs to keep his food fresh. He has to keep his food alive. Wow. So he's going to keep adding tourniquets and cutting him limb for limb and surviving on him as long as he can. But also, he has to keep him fed. Oh, no. So what Boone does, he cleans the leg, just like you would a, an animal carcass, gets all the meat off of it in good, clean sections, mm. and then he starts cooking it in the fireplace and makes Burton eat it. Oh, my gosh. He ate his own body. Wow. Wow. For uh, for about a week, Burton and Boone are both living on Burton's uh, right leg. Ugh. Boone would go out, gather what he could, and make stews out of it and feed him. And he was just kind of taking care of him all sweet and giving him his own leg stew. <laughs> and then Boone would just kind of sit in the corner and just be like, this is good, right? I mean, this is pretty good. Could use a little salt, but other than that, 
It's a leg up from what we had last week. I just have this image in my head of Burton sitting up against the wall on the floor. He's got that tourniquet on, right? This leg has got to be gangrenous. He's got, like, little pieces of stew in his beard. <laughs> and there's Boone. He's just happy, you know. He's got a full belly. Like, we're doing pretty good, man. Like, every- you've got another leg and two arms? <laughs> like, we're we're doing pretty good. You know what this stew could use is, uh, this stew needs a little more of your knee. So, so this goes on for a week, but that's Bird's, that's, that's Boone's plan. Burton is alive and he's, he's his own little personal fridge, his own little meat storage, but he has to feed him his own body to keep him alive. Uh, Boone wants to ration his buddy so that he doesn't eat him all at once, even though he's delicious. And it's then Boone starts running out of firewood, so he has to leave. The only time he leaves is to gather firewood. At one point, Burton notices that his pistol is laying on the table on the opposite side of the room, and it's like, I'm going to die. If Boone doesn't die, I'm definitely going to die. Because he's going to eat me up. He's going to eat all of me. He, he waits for Boone to leave to gather more firewood and starts this long, miserable, painful crawl to the table to retrieve his pistol. He actually passes out a few times from the pain, but when he wakes up, he starts crawling Mm. again. He gets there, finally gets the pistol, opens up the cylinder, and it's empty. Except for one. Uh. It had one round in it. This is before uh, pistols had rifling, right? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they say that trying to hit something with one of these revolvers that had no rifling was almost damn near impossible. That the only time you're safe... From one of these things being fired as if the person firing it is pointing the gun at you. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> accurate. Burton, weak, uh, missing an appendage. All of the appendage, too. It's missing at the hip. Almost. Ugh. And he realizes there's no chance in, in getting the jump on Boone. Boone has two fully loaded pistols on him. While Boone's out there gathering firewood, he hears a gunshot. Boone runs back to the cabin. And it's there that he discovers Burton's dead. And this makes Boone, like, really mad. He thought it... Boone later would say that he felt like it was, like, really selfish. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, me too. I could see that. It made him mad. Like, what kind of friend is this? No kind of friend of mine. Like, I was going to eat you, and now you ruined the all this audacity. meat. So now Boone realizes that his meat storage is going to ruin very quickly. There's nothing he can do. So he just cuts off Burton's other leg at the hip. He takes string, ties one end of the string to the ankle, the other end of the string to the end of the femur, and uses it and slings it over his back like a backpack. Mm. So he's got a one for the road, oh. so to speak. And he hits the woods again, gathers all he can and hits the woods. So he's got this leg thrown over his back with a string like a backpack for food. Got some meals there. And he hits the wilderness again and out, out mm. in the cold. And he's headed for Salt Lake City, Utah. Yeah. So Boone survives the next couple weeks in the snow-covered wilderness living off the leg of Burton and uh, occasionally some small game that he can, you know, catch or kill. While he's out there, the weather starts to ease up again and the snow melts. And after a few weeks, his clothes are tattered and torn. He has a beard. He looks like an absolute lunatic. He comes up on the Shoshone Indian camp. Now, these these Indians, they hated white people. Mm. I can't think of a reason why. Yes. They would hate white people at, at this point in history, right? Who knows? Boone walks right up to their campfire in the middle, and in the middle of them just kind of hanging out, doing their Shoshone Indian stuff, Boone, this crazy white man that looks like a lunatic, walks out (laughs) of the woods and just sits down in front of the fire and makes himself comfortable. Doesn't say anything to anybody. Now, any other man that had done this 
in, on Earth would have immediately been murdered quickly and swiftly. But they think this guy is an absolute lunatic just by looking at him. So they approach him with caution, and instead of killing him, they try to help him. So like this man doesn't need kill, he needs help. Wow. Yeah, well, and they're probably, I mean, the way he's acting is so different that they're like, almost like when the town, when he came back to town and it was crazy, they're probably like, I can't, can't really kill this guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's different. It wouldn't be moral of us. Like, this, that would be immoral. They would have literally saved hundreds of people if they had him. Yeah, he, he doesn't introduce himself. He just sits down. They think he's crazy. So they kind of take him in. They give him a blanket to sleep with. They feed him until he's stuffed, and they bring him back to back to health. He stays with them several days, uh, and eventually they get tired of him. Now, <laughs> their plan was to pass him off on one of the white traders that occasionally visited that they had a somewhat like stable relationship with that they would occasionally trade with that they mm-hmm. wouldn't kill on site. And that trader just so happened to be a man by the name of John W. Powell, who eventually comes into camp to do some trading. That's when the Indians kind of drop Boone on him for the cost of a couple extra furs. John accepts this offer and says, yeah, he'll bring Boone back with him to civilization, try to get him back to to some people that can help him. Now, along the trek back to Salt Lake City, uh, Boone eats John's food, much like he did with the the old prospector. Mm -hmm. Once again, while John is setting up camp, Boone just kind of sits off to the side and watches him and Boone also during all this is clinging to his make he has a makeshift backpack a pouch now at some point in the trip John discovers that in this makeshift backpack Boone has $1400 in coins what really and it was it was money that he had just stolen from people over the years you know just murder money uh, now if you do the math that equals $47,358 today that would be really heavy, too. So he literally carried that that whole time they were almost dead. The whole time. That. The whole time. Wow. Plus probably noisy, too. I mean, like you just walk near Boone and he's like, chingle, jangle, chingle, jangle. Yeah, chingle, jangle. Exactly. Oh, wow. Now, when John realizes, oh, this guy's got $47,358 just willy-nilly on his person, he's like, this guy's rich. I'm going to take really good care of him, and maybe there'll be a prize at the end of this when I get into civilization, you know? Mm-hmm. So John gives Boone his new clothes. He gives him all of his best food. He gives him everything during the trek. So Boone goes to living like a king during this way, this ride back to Utah, to Salt Lake City. Wow. While John's surviving off scraps and whatever's left over. Now, without John, Boone would have inevitably eventually been killed by the Indians. John saved his life. For sure, but they get to the outskirts of Salt Lake City. John, John, kind of, you know, they get there. They're looking at the city. John kind of turns to Boone, like, "Well, we're here, kind of, I guess, waiting for a reward, for maybe a thanks, anything." Boone doesn't even look at him. He just walks off into the city. Never even looks at him. (laughs) (laughs) Holy cow! Uh, Never even acknowledges him. Doesn't say thank you. Doesn't even turn and like do a like the flick, the cool guy, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. like one coin. <laughs> Don't spend it all in one place. <laughs> now, the first night in Salt Lake City, Boone gets into a fist fight in a bar and gets thrown into a Mormon quote unquote jail, which was just a basement of a Mormon family home. 
It had a very beautiful, clean, nice, warm bed and three hot meals a day delivered by by a very attractive 19-year-old daughter of the family that was keeping him there. I could, that's how I, I, yes, I believe that that's how, if Mormons back then had to make a jail, that's how they would make it. So Boone was like, I kind of like Salt Lake City. I think this is, <laughs> almost kill a guy in a bar and then I get a free bed, free hot <laughs> meals, and a hot chick to look at. Yeah. But at this point in history, the upper class Mormons were having a lot of issues with the miners there. There was bad blood between them and the visiting miners. And it's a lot of political mumbo-jumbo bullshit that that I don't even want to go into. Just know that there was bad blood there. And they have an ulterior motive, and that motive is, Hey, Boone, <laughs> we know who you are. You, you, uh-huh. you, you've kind of become a legend at this point. Boone is a, almost a small-time celebrity uh, across the West in the United States at this point. And they say, you want a job? And Boone's like, what's the job? And they say, hitman. (laughs) To kill minors? Just kill a bunch of teenagers? Kill minors. Not minors as in underage underage humans. Oh. But humans that bring burnable burnable bricks out of the earth. I see. Okay, for a second there. And they don't work in peat bogs. I wouldn't put, yeah, I was going to say, I wouldn't put it past Boone to kill a bunch of kids, but, okay, that makes more sense. Now, Boone is pretty quick about, he gets two targets. He finds the first target drunk and pissing on a, at, at the trading post. It's dark, though, so fortunately he's got the shadow of the knot. Boone just walks up. This guy's back is towards him. He's taking a piss. He's got one hand up against the building, you know. He walks up, puts the barrel of his receiver against the back of his neck and pulls the trigger and blows the guy's throat out all over the front of the building. Jeez. Kills him dead pretty quickly. So that's one down. This is all in one day, by the way. Now, the the word starts getting around town that Boone Helm is in town and he's going after certain people. Uh, the second target is, is hanging out on a front porch and he sees Boone walking down the street. And in this, I like to picture that, like, that... There's a tumbleweed that goes across the... And, and, and according to all accounts, Boone was literally walking down the middle of the street just wow. looking for this guy. The, the target sees Boone before Boone sees him, and, and he makes a, a break for it. He starts running, but Boone sees him. And just guns him down in the middle of the street, in the middle of the day. Out in the middle of town, people everywhere, shoots this man in the back. And then walks up, puts a few more rounds in him. And, you know, the the, the upper-class Mormons are a bit shocked by this <laughs> behavior. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't some typical Mormon behavior. <laughs> It's a bit untoward, not, if I must they're say. They're not used to watching a man's head explode out in the street. <laughs> Point blank range. When he gets back to the house to, to collect his bounty for the two targets cleanly disposed of, the Mormons are like, yeah, you killed, but fuck! <laughs> it was in front of everybody. Like that, we, we meant like... Do like some silent scope shit or maybe like some ninja stuff. Maybe drop down from a rope upside down and slit somebody's throat in a shadow. Like become the walls. 
you know, you're a whisper, you're a ghost. Like you spent I mean, time with the Indians. We thought maybe you'd bring some of those skills to to bear here. We didn't mean just walk into a crowded Walmart with an assault rifle and shoot the guy in the poultry section on security cameras during Thanksgiving, like which is essentially what Boone did. Right? That's how he went about it. Yeah. So they're like, look, man, here's the money, but you need to fuck off. Like, right now, you need to get out of here. <laughs> they paid him. They paid him out of fear. Yeah. But then they told him to leave, and he's like, all right, man, fuck, whatever. <laughs> and and Boone just stumbles off into the wilderness again, on foot, mind you. Oh, wow. Now, this next piece of, of Boone's life is, is missing to history. We don't know what happened, but we know that he next shows up in Colorado. And it's in Colorado that he joins a mercenary militia at war with the Ute Indians. This is the point where Boone gets really into the Confederacy, like super into the Confederacy, which is odd for a Kentuckian, right? It's not a common interest. Mm-hmm. Kentuckian, the Confederacy. For this militia, these, these bunch of shitbags, uh, raping Indian women was pretty common. That wasn't abnormal. But for Boone, Boone wasn't interested in the raping. He was far more into torturing them. And this torturing kind of weirds the rapists out. <laughs> Jeez. They're like, this guy, this guy's really strayed from God. Like, why can't he just rape women? Like, like. <laughs> oh my goodness. They start kind of sidelining Boone. Not like during their rapes and stuff. He's, but like. They, they bench just kind him. of. <laughs> They bench. They don't even bench him. They just ignore him. They shun him from the group. So they're like raping, and Boone is like off to the side, just kind of kicking pebbles. Like, oh shucks, won't even let me break a femur. I just wanted to cut her face up. This is stupid. Not long after that, there's another weirdo in the group that gets shunned al- along with Boone, and eventually those two. We never get this guy's name, this fellow's name. Uh, you'll find out. It doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> Should we just call, go ahead and call him food? Yeah. That's what anybody that runs with Boone is. And But eventually uh, the tune break off from the militia because they're tired of all they do is rape. They don't ever like hurt them like, you know, more than the raping does. They don't like cut them or anything. It's just so lame. Nerds. Um, that's how Boone felt about it. That's Boone. That's not me. Yeah, right. Right. Uh, Gotcha. They break off and they decide to get back to crime and leave the militia. Hmm. And this is when Boone and his new compadre head for the Caribou, British Columbia, up in up in Canada. Hmm. Now, on July eighteenth, eighteen sixty-two, the duo make it to a place called Antler Creek in Caribou, British Columbia, which was a small gold mining community, and they settle in for the night there with. The warmth of a bed and booze and food, and it's here that they hear a rumor that two miners, a man by the name of Sokolowski and the Frenchman, is what they called him, the Frenchman, which is a very Quentin Tarantino mm-hmm. kind of way to name somebody. The Frenchman had left earlier that morning with a huge score of gold, and we're talking massive, and you'll see how massive here in a minute. And they were headed for Quasnell Forks to convert it to cash. Boone and his buddies see this as a payday. And they immediately leave at the drop of a hat to try and catch up with them. And they do. They catch up with them on a on a desolate, long stretch of lonely road. They shoot them. They don't, they don't give any warning. They just shoot them both. They, walk, they, they roll up and kill them. 
basically, um, as wow. well as their animals. They kill both of them and all their animals, and they discover that these two men had $30,000 worth of gold, which equates in today's cash to over $800,000. Wow, that's a lot. That's excessive. Enough to retire on. Yeah. They find so much gold that they can't physically carry it all. Jeez. And what they do is they just dig a hole off the side of the road and bury it. Boone says, we'll come back and get it later when we've got, you know, mules. Because these people were pulling this gold with a with a, a, wag, a small kind of little wagon, little wooden wagon. Mm-hmm. Like but they killed cart. the animals. Yes. Yeah. Well, you can't leave any witnesses, so. Yeah. So Boone says, hey, we'll bury it off the side of the road here. We'll come and get it later. But he leaves the bodies laying out in the middle of the road to rot in the sun. And then they head on to Quesnel Forks. Now, they aren't at Quesnel Forks long before the bodies of Sokolowski and the Frenchmen are discovered and then hauled in there where they're staying. And the rumor starts to spread that seems like Boonhelm is probably in town. So his reputation is kind of chasing him at this point. And it's it's now that a $700 bounty is placed on his head, which equates to $18,700 in today's money. Mm. It's surprising to me that Boone didn't just try to kill himself to collect the bounty. <laughs> He eats part of himself to collect the bounty. Can prove it. I've got his body in my guts. So Boone and his buddy they flee town, uh, and this is another one of those you know kind of kind of dark spots in Boone's life. We don't have a lot of information, but we know that that Bo- we do know that Boone and his buddy rob, pillage, and and steal and murder their way all the way to Victoria, British Columbia, three hundred eighty miles away, where they suspect he con- he committed between twelve and twenty murders. My goodness. on his way there. Oh. Now, Boone doesn't have the money to pay his tab in the bar there when he gets to gets there, and uh, both him and his accomplice get arrested. The authorities immediately, however, realize it's Boonhelm, but they don't have anything to charge him with, as there's no evidence and no witnesses. They know that they've got a big fish here, but they need they need credibility, they need witnesses, they need they need mm-hmm. somebody. Now, right. at the second that they apprehend him, messages are sent in all directions to all surrounding towns as far as they can send them searching for anybody to come in and bring about with them bigger life-ending charges to Boone. They're trying to put this man on the end of a rope. That's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They know who he is. Meanwhile, Boone's little buddy, the first friend that Boone has that he won't consume because his, his little buddy, his little accomplice is, while getting interrogated by the police, he doesn't crack and the police beating to death in custody. Mm. So now Boone's alone again. Boone's bond is set at $50, which is $1,289 today. But he doesn't have the cash on him. It's all buried. He also doesn't pay his lawyer. He had he had gotten a, an expensive lawyer. And then for not paying his lawyer, is further sentenced to one month on a chain gang making roads. So now the cops are kind of not panicking as much, trying to get, trying to hurry up and get witnesses and everybody in because they've got a month. They've got a month at least mm-hmm. to, to put together a case, to, to put him on the end of a rope. However, in that entire month, nobody responds in time to bring about bigger charges. And while on the chain gang, Boone makes friends with a man named Dirty Harris. Now, Boone and Dirty Harris are released on the same day. And on that day, they quickly leave town together. Unfortunately, three days later... All the witness testimonies and witnesses would start showing up at the police department to testify about the horrible atrocities that Boone has committed. But they've Ugh. been gone at this point for three days. Jeez. Now, Dirty Harris and Boone are out on the killing spree again, and 
They're headed towards Antler Creek to recover the $30,000 that Boone had earlier buried a few months prior. Along the way, however, they are spotted by a man that Boone had robbed a few months prior, and that man immediately notifies the police that Boone is in the area. Boone and Dirty Harry, they, they run for it again, and, and they do what Boone is, is kind of become a professional at. He hits the mountains. Back to survivalist living. So Boone and Dirty Harry vanish into the woods for weeks and weeks, and eventually, about a month and a half later, Boone is discovered by British authorities way out in the woods, completely alone and emaciated. When they asked where Harry was, Boone replied, Why, do you suppose I'm fool enough to starve to death when I can help it? I ate him up, of course. Jeez. So Boone ate Harry. Jeez. Sounds like the sequel to When Harry Met Sally. Yeah. Yeah. So Boone ate eating Harry to stay alive, and and Boone is extradited to Port Townsend, Washington, where he faces all the charges he has accumulated. And while in jail there, he steals a small garden trowel while on work release, and he smuggles it into his dirt floor jail cell. <laughs> so he's got a... He's Dang out on work tool. release for a little bit, working in the gardens. He's got a little trowel. That's when he starts tunneling, and he accomplishes just that because within a few days, he tunnels his way out, not only from underneath the wall, but across a small walkway and underneath the wall on the other side. So two walls. It's three days again before anybody notices that Boone is gone. He had taken a bunch of rags and wadded them up and made the old lump-in-the-bed gag. Crazy digger. So Boone's out on the rob again. There's so much killing in this story that... No kidding. So Boone robs and pillages and kills his way back to California. They suspect another dozen or so. When he gets to San Francisco, he discovers there's a sizable bounty on his head and... Instead of being, you know, blatant and out in the bars and stuff, he starts camping out in the wilderness, sleeping in barns to avoid detection. Boone starts starving again, but this time he's not out in the wilderness. He's starving right on the edge of society. And one night, there's an old rancher. Uh, he, he's coming out to check his horses, and, and in the in his barn, he, he discovers Boone. He sees that Boone is extremely emaciated and starving, and instead of running him off or, or running for, for the law, he invites Boone in. And this is a, a kind, compassionate old man, and he invites him into his house, and he gives him food and a bed and says, you can stay here for as long as you want. And then Boone tells him about his past, and the rancher says, that that, that is that doesn't matter to me. I'm just trying to help you. Wow. I'll call the cops. So he starts cooking for Boone. He brings him hot meals. He lets Boone relax. He lets Boone get clean. He lets Boone build his strength up. He gives Boone anything Boone asks for. He'll go to the to town and buy things that Boone needs. He, he he basically brings him back to life, essentially. So Boone stays with this old man for, for many weeks, and eventually he, he kind of gets bored. After about a month, a little more than a month, Boone gets bored. And then one night in the middle of the night, he sneaks into the room while the old man is sleeping and shoots the man point blank in the face. Oh, while he's sleeping. And then he robs the place, takes everything of value in the old man's house that has now had his head exploded all over his pillow, and heads for Florence, Oregon. Hmm. We're really map jumping a lot here. Yeah, we he's go, a we traveler. Go we go from San Francisco, California. We kill our way to Florence, Oregon. And by the time Boone gets to Florence, Oregon, even though he left California with almost nothing, he's a pretty wealthy man by the time he gets to Oregon. Mm -hmm. And he arrives to Florence, Oregon in 1863, and this is kind of where things start 
maybe not going well. So he he's in Florence, Oregon. There's the second he rolls into town, he he's he's snatched up by the by the outlaws there. He like I said, you know, he's kind of a celebrity. Uh, there was a man there by the name of Dutch Fred that that ran the town. Ran the town. He was a miner. He was tall. He was strong. He was nicknamed Chief. Dutch Fred would fight anybody, and Dutch Fred was a good man. So this is just a good, massive, strong human being. Just a, a good roughneck, like the anti Boone, the anti bully. This is the anti Boone. Yeah, mm-hmm. the anti. This is Boone. If Boone weren't evil, this yeah. man is. It's like his arch enemy. <laughs> And once again, a lot of well, not really a lot of politics here. The 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 outlaws that kind of not even outlaws. They were just miners, but they were troublemakers. They 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 kind of whisk Boone away out into a into a house on the outskirts of town, and they let him know that hey, this Dutch Fred fellow, like we've been having a lot of trouble with him. He kicks our ass all the time. He won't let us, you know, rape and pillage and do what we want. He's just always there to stop us from doing stuff to other people, and he's kicked all of our asses on more than one occasion. And we need somebody to kill him. And it's then that they all chip in and they offer Boone five bucks to kill Dutch Fred, which equates to $151.76 today. So for a little more than $150, Boone's like, so it's like in 2020, somebody coming to you and going, here's $150, will you do a murder? (laughs) Yeah, I feel like Boone doesn't need incentive. That won't even pay an electric bill in the winter. (laughs) Wouldn't pay my gas to go meet with a, a hitman. <laughs> Anyways, Boone says, yeah, that's more than enough. I'll take care of this. He probably would have done it for free. Honestly. Yeah, I think so. Boone shows up at the tavern with the revolver in his hand, and, and Dutch is there drinking and playing cards. He had a kind of a throne seat that he sat at. Everybody loved Dutch Fred. He was a local hero. Everybody like kind of looked up to him. So Dutch is sitting there drinking having a good time, being friendly and jovial, playing cards. So Boone kind of kicks open them saloon doors, you know, they swing back and forth. (laughs) Boone's got a revolver, and he just starts mouthing off. And Boone says, quote, You and me, Dutch, let's get to the street and settle this like men. You've spent enough time shoveling dirt. It's long past time somebody shoveled some on top of you. (laughs) Dutch casually stands up and pulls a knife. Boone is still waving his pistol, and it's at this point that the crowd is kind of looking back and forth at Boone and then Dutch, and they're like, There's your, this is like Mothman versus uh, Godzilla. <laughs> What's that like? Mothra? Mothra versus Godzilla. Yeah. Yeah, like, they're going to tell, tear, these two giants are going to tear the saloon apart if we let this happen with weapons. So the, the mob kind of makes a decision and they attack both men. Not attack in the sense that they beat them up, but they disarm them. So after they take Dutch's knife and they take Boone's weapon, his pistol, that both men are back on their feet. Boone is now looking at Dutch in a much different light uh, because he, he's complete. He doesn't have a gun and he's he's getting a little bit older. You know, he he he's not used to fighting anymore because he's so quick with a pistol these days. And Dutch is a big, strong miner. Like, this is a rough man. Boone kind of sizes him up and says, Sorry, Dutch. I was very rude right then. That was sure some unsavory-like conduct. I've been at the whiskey all night, and I ain't meaning nothing by it. Boone leaves into the night, turns around and leaves. This is the first time Boone has ever walked away from a fight. This is the first time Boone has ever walked away from anybody in his entire life. 
And this is when the legends start to grow of Dutch Fred. You know, you know how it is like this probably happened around midnight and by six o'clock that morning, uh, the story is that Dutch was wounded and unarmed and Moon was 12 foot tall and had a running chainsaw made of sharks. (laughs) Yes. Ran by the blood of all the men that he had killed. Like, that's what the chainsaw ran off of. Right. So around 6 a.m., Boone comes stumbling back in. He's hung over now, and he's wet with dew. So he's been outside all night doing something. He very quietly goes to the bar and asks the bartender for his revolver back. Dutch Fred is still sitting there, still drinking, still playing cards. He just kind of ignores him. He figures, hey, I've already embarrassed that man. There's no use in making a bigger deal out of it than it already is. Boone walks up to the bartender and says, mind if I have my revolver back? I promise I'll go quietly. Bartender buys it and hands him his weapon. Boone takes a few, step towards, few steps towards the door and begins to holster his weapon like he's, like he's going to walk on out, then quickly stops, draws on Dutch Fred, and fires. Now, like I said, these, these, these revolvers didn't have rifling. They're extremely inaccurate. He misses, and the uh, the round actually hits the back of the chair that Dutch is sitting in. Hmm. So misses by a, a few inches at most. Yeah. Dutch, being the badass that he is, just stands up and crosses his arms. So unfortunately, this man is is believing his own legend, and there's no such thing as as superheroes and and bulletproof men because Boone is kind of like, okay, you just gonna stand there? <laughs> you want to stand there, big guy? Boone takes his time then, raises his pistol, steadies his aim, he doesn't panic, and and Dutch is just standing there, and puts a round right through Fred's heart, and Fred dies instantly. Dutch Fred drops to the ground and dies, and he has to feel really stupid. Jeez. Oh, this hurts. (laughs) I'm not unstoppable. You guys said I was unstoppable. I'm Dutch Fred. (laughs) Fred's laying there. He's dead, bleeding, bleeding all over the place. Boone eyeballs him, looks around the room at the at the the rest of the drunks in there, and says, "Anybody else want some?" Nobody says a thing, and Boone walks back out the door and disappears. He returns to the house to gather his money, and when he gets there, it's just five dollars. The men act like they don't know him. They pulled they pulled a fast one on him. Oh man! And instead, they call for the police, which is like seriously a super bitch move. Seriously. Yeah, this is a bunch of criminals, right? And they're like, we're yeah. calling the cops on you. Oh, man. After sending him to do the killing. Now, this is when Boone starts. He he hits the road and runs for Canada. At this point, Boone is apprehended at the Canadian border and brought back to Portland to await extradition. Boone spends six months in an isolation jail cell there. And while in isolation, we don't know how, but while in isolation, Boone starts sending and receiving letters. After six months in an isolation jail cell, he's extradited back to Florence, Oregon, to face the trial for the murder of Dutch Fred. And uh, But when they get there, no witnesses will speak. Not a single one. Everybody is silent. There were 20, 30, 40 people in the bar that night. They all watched Boone murder him. Nobody will step forward and say a word. Boone is set free. Mm-hmm. He's freed right there on the spot because they don't have a trial. They don't have, they don't have a leg to stand on. Wow. What turns out, While in isolation, while in prison for those six months, Boone had reconnected somehow with his rich brother, Old Tex, who was down in Texas while he was in prison. Now, now Old Tex had become very wealthy down in Texas, running a mine, and uh, and Boone had begged him for help. So while Boone Boone was spending his six months in isolation up there in jail at the Canadian border, Tex had traveled up to Florence 
and began paying off all the witnesses. So he, he starts asking questions, asking around, finding out everybody that was in the bar. And those that he can't pay off to remain quiet, he hires hitmen and intimidates them into silence. Mm. So by the time Boone gets to, to Florence, everybody is, is crickets. Texas handled it all. At this point, Boone is released to Tex, and they leave together for Texas. Now, on the way there, Tex starts telling Boone how he needs to change his ways. He offers him a job working for him in the mines, and, and they kind of rekindle their relationship. But Boone doesn't like to be told what to do, even if it's his brother. Mm-hmm. So in Idaho, while Tex is sleeping, Boone steals a horse and vanishes in the night. But he doesn't eat him, so that's... That's a thing. That's says new. something. Yeah. This time, Boone's headed for Montana because he heard it's lawless. And this next step is where is the first domino to, to Boone's eventual demise because he kills six men on the way there and steals everything they own and once again shows up in Montana extremely wealthy because he killed a bunch of people that were extremely wealthy. Now, <laughs> in Montana, at this time, there was a high level of murderous, gold-robbing gangsters, kind of like... Like an 1860s or 1860s old West mafia, mm-hmm. almost. Like they were that organized and that big and that dangerous. And uh, this group was called the Innocents. Now they were running crime in all of Montana. Now and uh, and not long into Montana, Moon is a, ce- a, a full blown celebrity at this point. An outlaw of, of his caliber is yanked up pretty quick by the low rank members of the Innocents, and they decide, hey. You're going to be a part of the innocents, or we're going to kill you. And we don't even get to decide if you're a member. You've got to meet with the head honcho, the boss, the big cheese, wow. the ham, the great bambino. you got to meet with the the, the, the long dong, <laughs> Teflon Don. And Boone's like, okay, that's a lot of nicknames. But he, he agrees. He's like, yeah, I'll go with you. I'll be a part of your little your little club here. That you got up on transport to meet with the ringleader with these low-level gang members for his entrance interview. They cross a sheriff by the name of Henry Henry Plummer, and this sheriff begins to kind of ride along beside them, and he's he's being friendly with them. And they arrive at the Bannock Saloon House in Bannock, Montana, late that evening, and they begin drinking. Now the sheriff comes in behind them and sits down on the other end of the room and starts drinking by himself, just kind of listening to everything that's going on. This saloon, this Bannock saloon house this is where they're supposed to meet the the teflon don of the innocents supposed to meet them there for boone's interview Mm -hmm. so while waiting for him boone starts getting drunk and they all start getting drunk and they start trading stories you know from their pasts and as the night goes on boone starts getting a little bit more loose-lipped with how the depravity that he's that he's taking a part in and these these members start kind of disappearing one by one they're like this guy's a little little much little much for me little excessive. Right. Eventually, Boone is kind of looking down at his booze. He's drinking. He's telling stories. He looks up, and the only person person still listening is Sheriff Henry Plummer. What's the twist here, Op? What do you think the twist here is? I think the twist is probably that Sheriff Henry Plummer has eaten more people than Boone, and he's hungry. You were so, you were so close. I thought you were going to say it. You were so close. Turns out Sheriff Henry Plummer is the ringlinger of the innocents. Oh, whoa. So he's Ooh, the sheriff. That's a twist. And he's behind the scenes in the shadows puppeteering this massive statewide gang. 
Wow. And uh, he loves Boone. He immediately, he loves Boone. He's he's been listening to him all night. He loves him. He invites Boone into the gang, not only as just a member, but of as a part of his his private crew, his personal detail. He's kind of like brought in as like uh, well, what you would almost like a lieutenant. He's he's kind of like a so he immediately picks up rank in this gang. Now Boone spends the next couple months. These he, he'll recall that he he calls these the happiest months of his entire life, and that's when he was pretty much allowed to run run amok with the with the innocents. They could kill whoever they wanted and and rob whoever they wanted and and just murder for fun, and he was just really living living the dream, you know, just just running and killing and torturing and not just, raping, not raping because the only person he ever raped. In my entire research, I think the only person he ever raped was his wife, which it is makes, still too many rapes. That's still too yeah, many rapes. I'll say it. I'll, it's definitely too many rapes. Uh, the interesting thing about this guy is it makes you wonder, like, today, if a guy like this was to do all this stuff, we'd look into his past and we'd find out that he had, like, mommy issues or daddy issues or, you know, something, like, some there was something that flipped, right? And it makes you wonder, like, in none of the stories, none of the history, it talks about women. Like, it makes you wonder, what, was he also, you know, a, a necrophile or a homosexual, you know, a closeted homosexual? Makes you wonder. I just, like, that there's no history of women other than, like... He just wasn't, I think he was, if anything, asexual. I think that he just had... Both parts. I think he had more of an interest in in hurting people and killing and and notoriety. Yeah, and just being wild. I guess and drunk. Yeah, I guess than women. Are, you know, I guess there's some people with that are so type A that they can just close certain you know interests or proclivities. I like. Yeah, I can see that. Like he has a high level of type A ness, and he just shuts off the sex drive. Because it, it, it really seems kind of like he didn't have much of a sex drive at all. Like, it's just not something that he... He spent so much time surviving. Yeah. Just trying... Just... And running and killing that it's just like... I just I just don't think he had time. Also, what's wrong with me? We just listened to a myriad stories of a guy who eats and kills a bunch of people. And my question is, where is this man's sex drive? Yeah. <laughs> So well, where's the ass? <laughs> Jeez, what's wrong with me? That's like that's the question I have. Oh my gosh, I need help. Boone makes a couple friends that like the the members of his of his little crew that he that he runs with in the in the clique is Three Finger Jack Gallagher, Alex Carter, and a man named Bob Zachary. Now in December of eight, you got to keep in mind the innocents are are just they're really ripping Montana to pieces. Miners are getting attacked left and right, and it's miners that they're primarily attacking because they're going for gold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it and it gets bad enough that in December of 1863, the miners all join together and create an enemy group called the Vigilantes to combat the killing and thieving of the innocents. And at this point, it's a gang war, it's like West Side Story. They meet in the street. The vigilants were surprisingly good at their job because one by one, members of the innocents were captured, tortured, interrogated, and then hung, with the law turning a blind eye because they were killing criminals as far as they were concerned. So mm-hmm. the vigilantes are the good guys. Yeah. So they would capture members of the innocents. They would torture them and interrogate them and get names of other 
members of the gang, and they would work their way up the ladder, kind of like Bruce Willis would in pick an action movie. <laughs> Any, just pick one. And this is how they worked their way up the up the chain of command, the ladder. And on January tenth, eighteen sixty four, Sheriff Henry Plummer is discovered by the vigilantes to be the ringleader and apprehended. He is uh, on that same day hung by the very gallows he had ordered to be erected. <laughs> wow. And then three days later, our man Boone Helm, on January 13th, 1864, is also apprehended by the vigilantes when three of them sneak up on him while his back is to them at a bar. Two of them grab his arms and the other shoves a pistol to his back. That's how Boone is brought into justice. Now, Boone is captured, and I'm just going to go ahead, spoiler alert, he doesn't get out of this one, folks. And to let us kind of, to kind of bring an end to this story, we will let Jack Luna explain the last, the last few hours of Boonhelm's life. Levi Boonhelm was not afraid of death. He claimed to have seen it in all forms, was intimately accustomed to its presence in all facets of life and was at peace in knowing that someday it would swallow him just as he'd swallowed his own fair share along the way death stalks us all and as a predator of men himself he could appreciate the patience of death the inevitability of it it takes a well-worn soul to face their own mortality with open arms and in helm it appeared there was a spirit so indifferent to the common concerns of common men, so full of a sick sense of freedom, so tarnished by heathenism that it now only longed to return to the spiraling pit from whence it came. In a large open cell of the vigilante cellars, Boone, along with fellow outlaws Carter, Zachary, and three-fingered Jack Gallagher, calmly played cards, drank whiskey, and smoked cigarettes whiling away their final hours as if a thousand more days were to come. It was all a show, of course, a show to one another of how much grit each contained, but there was no honor among the group, least of all when it came to Boone Helm. The morning of the day they were to be hanged, each prisoner was gifted a final opportunity to plead their case in front of a makeshift court close by to a makeshift gallows where each would be hanged in front of a gathering crowd that would swell to at least three, some reports claim six, thousand witnesses. After breakfast, Boone was led from the cell alone, and within view and earshot of his fellow outlaws was asked by a judge to swear on a Bible and give his truth. Boone kissed the good book, then immediately began to perjure himself, as three-fingered Jack struggled to keep his grip on the basement bars of the bullpen hollering at him protest across the dusty yard to what was being accused of him. In a final act of skullduggery, Boone was attempting to pin his crimes on Jack, a performance likely meant to rile up his fellow outlaw more so than truly work to gain some form of pardon. When the kangaroo court was satisfied it had done enough to proceed with the executions, Boone and the others were bound, hands behind backs, and paraded a short way through town to where they were scheduled to become dead men. The crowd seemed starstruck by the celebrity bandits. It wasn't every day that a well-known outlaw was to be hanged in your town, let alone a group, 
and it was Boonhelm who provided much of the heckling normally taken up by the drunken spectators. Spotting an old-timer who looked on from a window of the Virginia Hotel, where in front he was about to be strung up, Boone yelled out, "'Say, I'm going to heaven. I'll be there in time to open the gate for you, old fellow.' Boone was in great spirits. He berated his fellow condemned, imploring them to cheer up. Three-fingered Jack had pulled a knife from nowhere and held it to his own throat when the vigilantes had begun tying the prisoner's hands. Boone had thought this hilarious, and he still gave Jack shit for putting the knife down when guns were drawn on him. He razzed three fingers even as the nooses were looped over their heads and tightened about their necks. When the box was kicked out from under Jack's boots, and he began an unmercifully slow strangle in front of the now frenetic Virginia City faithful, in front of his fellow outlaws who would be next to swing, Helm bellowed into the purple face of three-fingered Jack, seeming to infuriate the dying man to the point where his eyeballs began protruding from their sockets. A sly smile on his face, Boone was said to have yelled out, Kick away, old fellow. My turn next. I'll be in hell with you in a minute. Then, before the box beneath his own feet could be kicked away, Helm shouted out to the thousands bearing witness to this historic hanging. Every man for his principles. Hurrah for Jeff Davis. Let her rip and leapt as high in the air as he could, slamming down hard enough to break his own neck and escape the drawn-out death Jack Gallagher was still in the throes of. If Zachary, the next man up, had any ambition to take matters into his own hands as well, his courage failed to gather in time. In a final act of mischief, Boone's body, well and dead but in full swing, slammed into him, unbalancing and dooming the poor bastard to slowly strangle along with three fingers, the crowd going wild as the incredible scene played out. The spirit of Levi Boone Helm, no doubt laughing maniacally, all the way to hell. All right, Op, and we are back. So, like uh, like Jack just said, Boone went out in, in only a way that, that Boone Helm would. You know, he kind of reminds me, have you ever seen that movie The Green Mile, Op? Yeah. Yes. You know, uh, what do they call him? Wild Bill. Sam Rockwell's character? Oh, yeah. Wild Bill? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is Boone Helm in, in a movie, essentially. that That's the impression I get from Boone Helm is wild. Sam Rockwell's character in The Green Mile, that's pretty much Boone Helm. You know what? You know what character he reminds me of? According to IMDb, he reminds me of a character named Boone in a movie called Boone which currently looks like it's under production. They're making a movie about it right now? Apparently. It's got scant details in IMDb, but it was updated on January 2021. That would be amazing. Yeah. I'll see that on opening day. Yeah. You know how sometimes you can tell by the cover art how a movie's going to be? Oh, this isn't going to be good, is it? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's not bad. But it, Does it, it looked like it was done in MS Paint. No, no, but it, you know, it, it looks like your 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 horror flick kind of cover art a little bit, you know. Oh, so there's gonna they're gonna take a lot of leadway with the story. Yeah, it's like a snow snowy winter forest with a pond, and the pond is red, and the blood is like kind of soaking into the 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 snow that's creeping over you know the fingers of the snow that are creeping over the pond and then in the reflection of the pond is Boone's eyes 
looking at you. Yeah, that's going to be bad. That's Might not be. going to be a good one. <laughs> I'll, I'll watch it. it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> me too. So, uh, just a real quick week recap of what Jack went over there. Boone gets to his cell where he finds his buddies, Three Finger, Jack Gallagher, Alex Carter, and Bob Zachary are already there playing cards and drinking. So they're already in their jail cell. They know what's up. They know they're going to die tomorrow. So they're just kind of having a, a good old time. Just playing cards and getting drunk one good last time getting blasted. They play cards all night long and early the next morning they're brought out one by one into the main room there where the others can hear and see they're brought out to stand trial uh, when it becomes boone's turn he kisses the bible and then blames everything on jack gallagher <laughs> <laughs> now me and me and jack had spoke at at length about jack has this theory and i and i kind of i kind of tend to believe i, I go with him jack believes that boone did this out of Kind of just to just to kind of rib Jack, you know. Mm-hmm. He knows they're all going to die, just to piss him off. Yeah, just to fuck with him a little bit. <laughs> he knows that no matter what he says, they're all going to die. So Jack believes that Boone kind of did this as a goof, as a laugh. He thought it was funny to see him get all mad, and it worked. And I tend to kind of lean with Jack on this. I, I believe that that's what he was doing as well. Regardless, Jack Gallagher doesn't find it funny because it really pisses him off. They're all unsurprisingly sentenced to hang. They're bound and marched to the center of town where a crowd of between three and 6,000 people have gathered. Now, the entire walk there, Boone is yuck-yucking it up, goofing off, having the best time of his life. He is really the only one that does that seems completely unmoved by what's going on, unaffected. Poor old three-finger Jack Gallagher goes up first. Whenever the, the door drops, his neck doesn't snap like it's supposed to, and he instead... Actually, I said when the door drops, they, they didn't even have doors. That was the kind where they push him off the front. Oh, yeah. So they kind of swing out. Now, this is important for a reason because Jack Gallagher's neck doesn't break. He starts doing the dancing man's dance. You know, mm-hmm. his hands are bound behind his back and his feet are kicking. So he's suffocating on the end of the rope. He's so mad at Boone Helm, right? He's incredibly angry at Boone Helm. And he's also at this point freaking out because he's at the end of a rope strangling to death, dying. On a swing back, his body kind of turns, so he's facing the gallows, right, on the -hmm. the back swing. Yeah. Boone kind of leans out. The last face he wants to see is Boone. (laughs) They almost come face to face, and Boone looks him in the eyes, the last man that he wants to see in his last seconds on Earth, and says, Kick away there, old fella. It's my turn next. I'll be with you in hell in a minute. Oh, my gosh. That guy is just nuts. Ah, wow. That's the last thing this poor bastard had to see. My goodness. Kick away, old fella. It's my turn next. I'll be with you in hell in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) When the executioners make a move to silence Boone because he's screaming and just doing what Boone does, Boone screams, Every man for his principles. Hurrah for Jeff Davis. Let her rip. And then he jumps to his death. He he doesn't give them the satisfaction of, pushing them. of hanging him. Mm. He says, bitch, you're not going to hang me. I'm going to hang myself. On And he jumps as high as he can and kind of throws his weight down as hard as he can and snaps his own neck the second he drops. Wow. The weight. He, he jumps off with such velocity that his body on the backswing knocks another... Poor bastard that's been sentenced to die off the 
the gallows. The gallows and kills him too <laughs> prematurely. <laughs> so, so Boone ki- literally when Boone died, he killed someone else. Oh my god! Boone gosh. was such a badass that his corpse killed somebody. <laughs> he was such a badass he hung himself and killed someone all in the same motion. Exactly. Oh my goodness! Wow, that is nuts. Boone was a hard ass up until the last second. Oh up my until gosh. the last second. That is amazing. Not one time in that man's life did he show a single ounce of uh, weakness. Yeah. Or humanity. Or fear. It makes you want, like, man, I just wonder how that guy got that way. You know? Like, what was it? It's all nature. Because gotta he be. had the nurture. Yeah, it's got to be. So Boone's neck snaps on January 14th, 1864, and that is the end of uh, of Boone Helm. That's how it that's how it all ends. He was in his he was 37 years old. Mm. Wow. That's amazing. Hey, in your research, are there many are there a lot of people that have covered him cuz I can't recall hearing much about him. There uh, there's about there's probably six or seven other podcasts that that did a episode on him, mm. but it's very they're all very brief. And actually, many of them say, "Well, there's not enough information to do a full episode on this guy, so we're just going to do a mini-sode." Uh. I was actually very fortunate to find the book that I found, which was the book that I that I used. I'm going to go ahead and cite our source here. The main source that I used was the book, The Kentucky Cannibal. The True Story of an Outlaw, Murderer, and Maneater. And that book is by a man named Ryan Green. It was a good book. I enjoyed every single second of it. And it's so full of details and everything. I guess this guy spent over a year, Ryan Green did, uh, searching up all the details and stuff and followed Boone on his travels. That's where I got all, almost all this information. I was able to find a lot of information also in newspapers.com, a lot of old newspapers from the 1800s. That gave detailed descriptions of the of the execution, but I would say probably seventy to seventy to seventy five percent of the information that I covered in this episode was pulled from the book *The Kentucky Cannibal* by Ryan Green. Well, I'm glad to know that um, we have now become the bastion of information on uh, podcast form for Boone Helm. We are we are the first one, to my knowledge, to do long deep dive into Boone Helm. And I'm very proud of that because what better guy to... I mean, man, a lot of the people that we cover, they're they're. it's easy to hate them. You know, they don't have any redeeming qualities. And Boone doesn't even have any redeeming qualities. But he's so good at being so bad. There's something yeah. about him that's just... It's fearlessness, man. Just the level of fearless. Yeah, you know, and I think it also helps that it was over 100 years ago uh, because then we can kind of, I don't know, we see it through different lenses, you know. If this had happened just recently, you know, in the last couple decades, we would probably take a bit of a different approach. But, um, man, that's crazy. Well, uh, I'm uh, I'm more impressed than offended this time. Maybe it has to do with the 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 equitable amount of of lack of discre- indiscretions against women and a bunch of nameless murders. <laughs> I can't put a name to half to most of the people he killed. So 
I sleep a little better, I guess, now knowing that. Okay, so uh, that, that's it, Op. And after we after we hang up the phone here, we're gonna play a quick promo for you. It's a it's a podcast that I that I love and listen to called True Crime Horror Story, host, hosted by one of my buddies, JD Hor. He covers a variety of true crime characters, much like we do, but without a comical twist. It's a great podcast, well researched, well narrated, well produced. Go check it out. So that's the promo you'll be hearing. And aside from that, uh, I think we're good to go here. Op. Yeah, I like that guy a lot. He's great. Okay, well, I'll call you tomorrow, then. All right. All right. Hugs. What? What? I am your host, J.D. Horror, and this is True Crime Horror Story. A true crime podcast designed like an anthology horror movie. It's definitely not for the faint of heart and never played for laughs. Listener discretion is strongly advised. In seasons one and two, we highlighted both notorious and obscure incidents of real-life murder. From world-famous psychopaths like the Toolbox Killers and the Night Stalker Richard Ramirez to lesser-known evils that you may not have heard of but have effects just as catastrophic for the victims and their families. Season 3 is coming soon, so subscribe now wherever podcasts can be consumed, and check out our website at www.truecrimehorrorstory.com. True Crime Horror Story. Sometimes truth is more brutal than fiction.